Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello everyone. Big question today is, will Nebraska score a victory for Liberty and for America? Hi, I'm Rita Peters. I am the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs with the Convention of States Project, and I want to welcome you to a very special edition of COS Live today. You might see over my shoulder here, this is a Nebraska flag, and I have that sitting out because in just a few moments, we are expecting a debate on Convention of States in the Nebraska unicameral legislature. They're going to be debating our resolution and if they're successful, Nebraska could very well become the 16th state to successfully join our movement. We need 34 states to pass our resolution in order to trigger an Article 5 convention to propose amendments to the Constitution that would rein in Washington and limit federal power, limit federal spending, and set term limits for federal officials. Now, the COS Nebraska team is very hopeful of a positive outcome, despite the fact that we are fully expecting a filibuster from the opposition. We expect that filibuster to start today, so you may get to see some of it. Of course, we never know for sure. They might wait until tomorrow to filibuster. We will not see a final vote today. We may not even see it this week, but it is coming soon. And we want you to be a part of what could be a very historic moment in Nebraska. Let's review just a little bit of background information on what you're about to watch and I want to encourage you, too, to stick around afterwards, because after the live debate from Lincoln, Nebraska, we will have a recap with yours truly. And we're going to get live reaction from Convention of States Regional Director Dave Schneider, who has been doing yeoman's work. He is actually there in the legislature today on the ground there to answer questions, talk to legislators and work with our grassroots team there in Nebraska. Now, this could be a very long debate. There is a filibuster rule in Nebraska. It's actually unusual as far as the state legislatures go. It kind of makes Nebraska look a little bit like Congress because the filibuster could last up to eight hours today, up to four hours tomorrow or the next day they take up the resolution, and then another two hours on the final day, at which point we do expect to see a live vote. And we don't want you to miss any of the action. Many of you know that 15 states have already passed our Article 5 resolution calling for a convention to propose amendments to the United States Constitution on three topics, fiscal restraints, term limits, and limits on federal scope and jurisdiction. That's right. We are using the Constitution to save it, to propose amendments that will force the feds to live within their means, confine them back to their constitutional box, and send them home if they've been there too long. 
this year, our resolution is being considered by an additional 20 plus states, including Nebraska. So how did we get here? The Convention of States Nebraska volunteer team has been busy building support across the state and in the legislature. Nearly 20,000 Nebraskans have signed the Convention of States petition asking their state legislators to vote yes for COS. A scientific survey that we've done shows that over two thirds of Nebraskans, that's 66%, favor the state calling for an Article Five convention to propose those constitutional amendments that will limit federal spending limit federal power and set term limits for Congress and maybe even federal judges. And I just want to note that that 66% of Nebraskans that favor the state calling for an Article 5 convention, the COS project, that crosses party lines. So that's not just conservatives. It's not just Republicans. It's 66% of the people. So that's exactly what the, this Nebraska unicameral legislature is about to consider in just a few moments. And you're going to hear the term unicameral a lot today. So just for those of you who aren't familiar with it, what that means is that in Nebraska, the legislature only has a Senate. Every other state legislature in the country is like Congress in that it has a House and a Senate. So in every other state, our resolution has to pass through the House and the Senate. We don't need the governor to sign in any state. We do not require executive action because the Constitution says that it's only the state legislatures that do this to trigger the convention. But in Nebraska, there is no House. There is only a Senate. So as soon as we achieve final passage in the Senate, Nebraska will add its name to the list of states calling for a convention. Um, Republicans, I mentioned that 66% of Nebraskans favor our resolution. Let me break that down for you by party. Republicans favor it by 79%. And also a majority of Democrats, 53% of Democrats in Nebraska. So those legislators who filibuster in Nebraska would be doing so in opposition to not only their constitutional duty to act on behalf of their state, but in opposition to the will of the people in Nebraska. And I think that's important for everyone to keep in mind. Again, if we have a successful vote in Nebraska at the end of the filibuster, which could be later this week, or could possibly be next week, then Nebraska will be the 16th state of the 34 required to join the Convention of States movement. Our resolution number in Nebraska is LR14, so that you'll see it referenced as LR14. That's our Convention of States resolution in Nebraska. Right now, I'm keeping an eye on what's happening in the chamber right now. And at this moment, they're going through some preliminary items. Um, it looks like they may be having an invocation right now. They will likely do the Pledge of Allegiance, make some introductions, do a roll call. 
And as soon as they get to the point where they're going to talk about our resolution, we will go live to the chamber and let you see everything as it happens there. It's really exciting. So let me give you just a little bit more backstory while we're waiting. For years, our Article 5 resolution has been stuck in committee in Nebraska. In 2021, last year, our legislative champion, our sponsor, Senator Steve Halloran, attempted this procedural move to pull our resolution out of the committee because he made our resolution, Convention of States, his priority legislation for the session. That was amazing. So unfortunately, the motion failed. Even a local paper declared Convention of States was dead in Nebraska, but our volunteers were not easily deterred. They worked with the senators and our sponsor, Senator Halloran, to pull it back from the ashes and basically resurrect our resolution. And that is exactly what happened. Um, they resurrected our resolution from the dead, enabling it to go back to committee, get voted out of committee. It was incredible what happened, unprecedented really, in, even in Nebraska. So that's where this comes from. There's a lot of momentum and excitement behind it. We on the National Convention of States team are so proud of our grassroots army there in Nebraska who are giving some of our champion legislators like um, Senator Flood, Senator Halloran. We're, our grassroots army is just acting as the wind in their sails and it's really exciting to see what's going on. And I think we have a video message from our legislative champions, State Senator Steve Halloran. So um, while they're doing the roll call there in Nebraska, Producer G, why don't we show that video from Senator Halloran? Well, greetings to all my Convention of States supporters. Uh, it's, it's a great cause and it's a great group of people to work with. Uh, here in Nebraska, we have a strong group, and they've been working fearlessly uh, to help us pass uh, Article 5 Convention of States in Nebraska, uh, which will be up this coming Monday, uh, LR14. Uh, we will be spending a day, eight hours of debate, uh, some facts, and then the, on the other side, there will be a lot of fear-mongering, and we'll just have to deal with that. Uh, when you don't have a case, when you don't have a case to make an argument, uh, as the opposition really doesn't have, they subject themselves to uh, fear and uncertainty and, and uh, try, to, try to discourage people uh, about promoting or adopting something. So we're going to give them the facts and we're going to let people that I assume are going to be fairly logical support this and it's looking pretty good. Well, there you have it from Senator Steve Halloran. Again, he is our legislative sponsor in the Nebraska unicameral legislature, the Senate. And he is there. I, I can't wait to see, see what he has to say for the floor debate. He has been just an amazing spokesperson for the states and a big champion of the states using their power to intervene on behalf of the people of America against a tyrannical federal government in Washington, D.C. I want to remind you to stay tuned after the debate today. 
I don't know when it will end. I don't know how long it will take, but we will eventually have a recap with, well, with yours truly. And we will do everything we can to get live reaction on the ground from Convention of States Regional Director Dave Schneider, who who is there. And I just spoke to him right before we went live. He's ready to go. He is all amped up, as you might imagine. And Again, keep in mind that Nebraska's legislature does have this filibuster rule, which is why we are expecting a very long debate. And one thing to watch for, um, I was told by Dave Schneider, our regional director, who's on the ground there today, that he is expecting Senator Adam Moorfield, whom Dave describes as the leading progressive in the state to offer an amendment to the Convention of States resolution. Um, And I just want you to pay attention, listen to the amendments that are offered. What you'll find is a lot of these senators will offer ridiculous amendments as part of their filibuster process. And what they're really trying to do is just stall things out. They're trying to kick up dust and create confusion. So that's why I'd encourage you to try to be with us for the wrap up and commentary at the end of the debate. Um, We also expect the senators to break for lunch at some point. So that might be a good time, assuming they've started debate by then. Um, When they break for lunch, we can come back on and I can give a little commentary to um, tell you more about what's happening and explain um, what's going on behind the scenes and what the issues are that you're hearing about. Now, Nebraskans, for those of you watching this broadcast right now, it is really important that you make your voices heard and that you do it today. So please go to NebraskaCOS.com for the latest information about which senators you should call right now. We need to get this done to win a victory for liberty in America How amazing would it be to start 2022 off with a clear signal from Nebraska that reaches all across the nation and says, we are done with federal overreach, done with career politicians and runaway spending. We don't want socialism. We want liberty. That's what we're hoping will happen in Nebraska today. So again, if you are watching this broadcast from Nebraska, Go to NebraskaCOS.com for the latest information and even for a list of senators that you should be contacting right now. Um, It looks like they are having a little bit of a conference up at the speaker's desk on the dais, and I'm getting a message um, oh, let's go live, producer G. Allen, you recognized open on LR 14. Thank you, Mr. President. Good morning, colleagues, and good morning, Nebraska's second house. Well, here we are again. The debt clock continues to tick. I've handed out my opening so that you can read along kind of in a closed caption fashion if you have difficulties following at least my openings in front of you. 
The federal debt is spiraling out of control. America is now reaching a tipping point. For years, the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, has described the excessive spending of Congress as, quote, un unsustainable, unquote. Newly updated forecasts now show that the federal debt is accelerating and will soon reach $33 trillion. Those are the facts. According to the U.S. debt clock, the debt is inches away from the $30 trillion mark, and Congress just keeps piling on debt. Projections from the Congressional Budget Office have the budget deficit exceeding $1 trillion annually for years to come. Those are the facts. Sadly, deficit spending isn't a new problem, and it isn't solely partisan either. When George W. Bush was president, the federal debt went from $5 trillion to $10 trillion. When Barack Obama was president, the federal debt went from $10 trillion to $19.6 trillion. President Donald Trump did not resist adding to the debt, and now President Biden is proposing massive deficit spending to contribute his share. Those are facts. The current debt of nearly $30 trillion amounts to $89,338 for every man, woman, and child in America, or $237,812 for every household. The debt today is 126.98% of our nation's GDP, gross domestic product. Put in other words, our nation's debt is nearly 127% of our entire economy. Put another way, the debt is more than 7.7 .7 times the total of all the revenues that comes into the federal government annually. Those are facts. Condensed to a personal scale, it would be like an individual making about $40,000 a year carrying $310,000 worth of unsecured credit card debt. They would be borrowing money just to pay their interest payments and continuing to spend more each year than they actually earned. If that was a family member or a friend, we would have an intervention to get their spending and debt under control. Likewise, the federal government needs an intervention. It needs a constitutional amendment to control its irresponsible spending. We all must live within our means. Why not Congress? Every state in America but one has some sort of a requirement in their state constitution for a balanced budget. Local governments have to maintain balanced budgets. Small business and other employers have to balance their books. Families and individuals all across the country must balance their budgets. So why doesn't the federal government balance its budget? Because they are not obligated to. 25 years ago, when our federal debt was only $5 trillion, a Nebraska Initiative petition successfully passed, 58% for, 42% opposed, which placed Article 18 in our state constitution, directing our state legislature to propose an amendment to our national constitution to impose term limits on Congress. 25 years later have passed, since that communicated directly from Nebraska voters. The Nebraska State Legislature has ignored the Second House 
in our state constitution by not proposing a call for an Article V Convention of States. It's in our constitution. For the Nebraska State Legislature's consideration, I'm proposing adopting LR14, which calls for the state of Nebraska to call for a limited Article V Convention of States, which would discuss and potentially propose amendments to the U.S. Constitution. This call will be limited to the following areas. One, impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. Two, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. And three, limit the terms of office for individuals, officials, and members of Congress. For those of you familiar with Article 5 in our national constitution, two-thirds of the states, that's 34 states, will be required to call with matching resolutions to LR14 to successfully meet the constitutional requirements to convene a convention of states. Fifteen state legislators have thus far called for utilizing the opportunity the constitutional authors purposely vested in the states to call for a convention through adoption of resolutions identical to LR14. And an additional 26 states have this call for a convention under consideration. Bear in mind, for any proposed amendments resulting from a convention of states to officially become an amendment to our Constitution, it would be necessary for three-fourths of the states, that's 38 states, to ratify said proposed amendments. Only after reaching that high threshold of three-fourths approval of the, by states will it become an amendment to our Constitution. To set the tone for this conversation, I wish to make it perfectly clear that neither Congress nor a convention of states can amend the U.S. Constitution. Let me repeat that. Neither Congress or a convention of states can amend the U.S. Constitution. Article 5 makes that abundantly clear. That is a fact. Both Congress and the Convention of States have only the constitutional authority to propose amendments. Put, in other words, both are merely suggestion boxes with only the authority to suggest or propose amendments. Nothing more, nothing less. That is a fact. The framers of the Constitution made it abundantly clear that only after a proposed amendment was ratified by three-fourths of the states would it officially be an amendment to our Constitution. Only the states ultimately have the constitutional authority to add an amendment through the ratification process. Congress cannot do it by itself. A convention of states cannot do it by itself. The states have to ratify it. So when opponents of LR14 express fear of a runaway convention, they are making a misguided and misleading argument against a convention of states. Because a convention of states cannot amend, they can only propose amendments. The states must ratify. Consequently, when the opponents of an Article 5 convention of states introduces fear, uncertainty, and doubt, they should shift their argument to a fear of a ratification process. There is only one notable historical record of the states making a ratification misjudgment by ratifying the 18th Amendment prohibition. After a brief era of prohibition, Congress proposed the 21st Amendment, repealing the 18th Amendment. Over three-fourths of the states then ratified the 21st Amendment. This should be 
comforting to see that there is a means of making a correction if the country opposes a new amendment. There have been 33 proposed amendments to the U.S. Constitution. 27 of those proposed amendments have been ratified by a minimum of three-fourths of the states. Six proposed amendments were not ratified. The ratification process works. I look forward to a productive factual debate. I will attempt to answer questions factually, diving into the history of what motivated the framers of the Constitution to give states equal footing with Congress in proposing amendments to the Constitution through Article 5. One minute. My goal is to present arguments based upon facts, not speculation. A friend of mine re recently introduced to me a new acronym, FUD. For the transcribers, transcribers that's F-U-B. Excuse me, F-U-D. I fubbed up. Which stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. He explained to me that people who have few or no facts to defend their argument will instead introduce FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I would prefer those who wish to oppose LR14 to also debate with facts and not present arguments based upon hypothetical speculation of what might or might not happen in the Convention of States is called. In closing, Congress needs to have a constitutional guardrails to keep our spiraling debt in balance with our economy's ability to pay for it. Colleagues, I ask for your support of LR14. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Mr. Halloran. Mr. Clerk. Mr. President, uh, First Amendment to the resolution, Senator Moorfeld, AM 1545. Senator Moorfeld, you recognize to open on AM 1545. Thank you, Mr. President. Colleagues, I rise in opposition to LR14, but I do ask that you support AM 1545. I'll talk about my opposition here just to refresh everybody's memories and respond to Senator Halloran's arguments that he just made now. But first, my amendment, AM 1545, ensures that the scope of this resolution and this convention, if it can actually be limited, which I don't believe it can be actually, we'll get into that in a minute. This will make sure that the limited scope of this cannot touch our precious Second Amendment gun rights. So this amendment will state, and I'll just actually read for it, line two, section two, the legislature reaffirms its commitment to protecting the gun rights of Nebraskans. The Convention of States shall not propose amendments that could in any way result in the restriction, disempowerment, or elimination of the Second Amendment. So this will make sure that if Senator Halloran is correct, and if you decide to pass this over a filibuster, that this will truly be limited, if Senator Halloran's right, which I don't believe he is, that this will truly be limited to all the other topics he discussed and not our gun rights. So I urge you to amend AM 1545. I urge you to do it because if this is passed and if Senator Halloran is actually right about this being able to be limited, then I think that we should be prudent and we should make sure that we exclude the things that we hold dear, such as gun rights, among many other rights, from the call of this convention. I will tell you, though, that even if this passes, 
it does not alleviate my concerns that this will be a runaway convention. And I'll talk about that for just a little bit here. So let's step back for a second. Senator Halloran first says, we should not be worried about things that are merely hypothetical. Colleagues, how this constitutional convention would run is merely hypothetical. One has not been called before. And if you look at the language, which I'll read in a moment, if you look at the language of Article 5, it is incredibly broad. It does not state that states may limit the call to a constitutional convention. And in fact, colleagues, the last time that we had a constitutional convention, it was a runaway convention. It completely got rid of the Articles of Confederation. Now, I think that they ended up with a better document in that case, a better constitution, one that was stronger. But there were a lot of people very upset with how that convention went and how it strengthened the centralized power of federal government. So not only since that Constitution has passed have we not had a constitutional convention to have any precedent to support Senator Halloran's statements that this could be limited, but the only time that we've had a constitutional convention on the federal level, it has been a runaway convention. So the only precedent that we have, colleagues, is our current Constitution, which went far outside the bounds of the original call to amend the Constitution for the delegates to come and, and talk about changes to the Constitution to strengthen the power of the federal government. So, colleagues, when Senator Halloran says we shouldn't get concerned about hypotheticals, one, I don't actually think it's a hypothetical, but two, if you look at everything that has happened since we passed our current Constitution, or ratified, I should say, all it is is hypotheticals. There is no precedent. And let's just read from the Constitution real quick, Article 5. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, so what we're talking about here, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislature of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions in three-fourths thereof as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by Congress, provided that no amendment shall be made prior to the year, and that's not relevant to this part, but it's very broad. There's nothing in there that says that you can narrow the call for this convention. And colleagues, these bodies, once they are formed, and once there is no precedent for them, they can operate however they want. And in fact, some Supreme Court justices have said that they cannot, as a Supreme Court, interfere with the Constitutional Convention. So we don't even know if the court will be able to provide boundaries other than making sure there's enough states that have actually called them. This is a very dangerous proposal. It's a very dangerous proposal, and you've heard from many people, both conservative and liberal, because I've gotten all of the messages you've gotten, phone calls and all of that, of people that are very concerned, and with good reason. Because there is no specific language in our Constitution that allows states to limit the scope of a constitutional convention.
That is very dangerous, colleagues. And not only that, we talk about, well, hey, look, if we all have the same call to a constitutional convention, it says it's clearly, it's clearly confined to these, to these different uh, subjects. But yet, our own body suspended the rules of this body to be able to address this issue. The legislature suspended our rules to pass a convention call promising a convention will follow the rules. We are case in point that we have the ability to spend our own rules and be able to take on different topics, different subjects. And how do we know that a constitutional convention that's convened in Washington, D.C., I'm assuming, will not do the same? Because we all know we can go through the mental gymnastics of, well, it's just limited to balancing the budget, but in order to balance the budget, we have to tweak these other few amendments to get there. And then somebody says, well, I, that doesn't seem very germane to the call. The call's narrowed to this. Well, I'm sure that there'd be a procedure within that convention where they would be able to overrule the ruling of the chair, or maybe the chair would actually agree with them. And then suddenly, we have a new constitution that has impacted all kinds of rights that we hold dear. Colleagues, this is a dangerous proposal. Don't just take my word for it. Take the word of all the legal scholars across the political spectrum. And I've got them all right here. I'm happy to show you them. I'm going to talk about them today at length. That have indicated serious concerns. The same concerns that I am talking about. If you can show me definitive language from somewhere, whether it be Supreme Court precedent or somewhere in the Constitution, maybe I'm misreading the one paragraph of Article 5 that indicates that we can limit the scope of this once the convention has been called and there's some kind of way to enforce that, then I'm all ears. But I've been working on this issue, or working against it rather, for the last four or five years, maybe even longer, and I'll tell you that I have not seen any of that. And I don't think you'll find any of it either, other than some language in state resolutions that aren't going to have jurisdiction once this clause of the United States Constitution is invoked. And I know many of you might be sitting here going, well, listen, I mean, this doesn't seem like a big deal. One you have minute. to get so many supermajority of states to actually call the convention. And maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. I'll tell you this, though. If it does happen, if it does happen, it's going to be very real. And it's going to impact people in a very real way and their constitutional rights. And the only precedent that we have is the constitutional convention that went rogue the last time that we had one that created this constitution. That's the precedent you should be worried about. That's the precedent that we should all be looking to as an example of when we convene a constitutional convention, that convention has broad authority and there is nothing in our current constitution that limits the scope of that authority and given the supremacy clause, it doesn't matter what we put in the state resolutions. 
Colleagues, I urge you to oppose LR14 and at the very least pass AM 1545. That's time, Senator. Thank you very much, Mr. President. Senator Morfield, you're actually first in the speaking queue. You may continue for five additional minutes. Thank you, Mr. President. I'm going to yield my time to Senator Blood. Senator Blood, recognize five minutes. Thank you, Mr. President, and thank you, Senator Moorfeld. Fellow senators, friends all, I stand in support of AM 1545 and in opposition of LR 14. And I want to approach this differently because I do have constituents who are in favor of this, but I also have constituents who are against this. And so I always like to get outside of the rhetoric and the smoke that's being blown up my skirt and do my own research. And you can tell by how there's a lot of people not paying attention to the debate, how some of them are already going to vote, because they already know. But one of the things that always concerns me is when I hear that there was vote trading on a bill. And I know for a fact, Senator Halloran, that there were several people that traded votes for you um, to get you support where you needed it. Um, and I don't fault people for vote trading. I personally don't do it. But to me, it's always a red flag if someone's having a, trouble getting a bill um, over the finish line. One of the things I found in my research is that since 2016, seven states have rescinded previous applications to call for a convention of states. Seven states. In 2016, Delaware. 2017, New Mexico, Maryland, Nevada, Texas, South Dakota in 2019, Colorado in 2021. Since 1988 to 2021, 23 states adopted legislation to rescind previous legislative measures for Convention of States. Then 12 of those states changed their minds back. So if they can't even make sense, they can't make decisions based on, yes, we want to belong to the Convention of States, no, we don't want to belong to the Convention of States. If they can't even decide that, why should I believe that when they come together, they can decide on anything as a group? That's a red flag for me. But I really liked what I found in the transcripts for Colorado, South Dakota, and I'm going to share some of those with you. And I won't get to finish on this uh, opportunity to speak, but I will get to finish on my next opportunity to, opportunity to speak. So the Speaker of the, the House in Denver for the state of Colorado, he talked about how Colorado has not made a request for a constitutional convention in over 25 years, and that was one of the reasons they rescinded it. And then he said, in that time, our population has nearly doubled, and our state has changed drastically. Passing this resolution today gives Colorado a clean slate and ensures our state has no part in prompting a massive, wide-open revamp of the United States Constitution. This is about ensuring that we maintain a high standard for amending our country's foundational document and protecting the rights and liberties we hold dear. And then a representative, Mike Weissman from Aurora, Colorado, said, amending our Constitution should be no easy feat. While the Constitution is certainly a living document, we cannot allow it to be put on the operating table and left to be tinkered with. There's a reason we haven't had a constitu constitutional convention since 1787. It could threaten the core rights and freedoms that are foundational to our democracy. If changes need to be made, the framers gave us another more targeted mechanism 
through Congress and the state legislatures that has been used successfully many times to ensure our Constitution meets the needs of the times. Friends, we keep being told how many states have come on board, but it's funny, not once has anybody who's One come day. to my office or emailed me to talk to me about this, had they told me about the states that are rescinding their ability to participate in the Convention of States. I think it's very telling if you read the transcripts from the states that are leaving as to why they are leaving and why they do not support Convention of States. We always hear a very biased, one-sided effort when it comes to COS. And quite frankly, if you do the research, it's quite clear that even though we're told differently, all Nebraskans do not want Convention of States. All you people in the United States do not want Convention of States. What they want are for people to be responsible, that when they take the pledge to do what's best for this country, that they follow that pledge. And when we don't like it, that's why we get our butts to the polls and we vote against those people who continue to ignore our wishes. Constitution, the con excuse me, the Convention of States is not the way that we That's do this. That's time, Senator Blubbish. You're next in the queue. You may continue. So I'm going to read, friends, some information from South Dakota. And this was in reference to uh, their recent rescission for the Convention of States. And constitutional scholar Robert Brown spoke out against the resolution noting that the first Convention of States in 1787 didn't have the jurisdiction to create a constitution, but those who attended felt the need to proceed anyway, which you just heard, for those who were actually listening, Senator Moorfeld say on his presentation. Those who attended declared it, it was a runaway convention, Brown said, adding that there were no guarantees that the convention called for wouldn't make unforeseen changes to the Constitution. Lee Southwell, who came to speak to uh, this group in South Dakota, representing the John Birch Society, called on her experiences in Chile, where protesters thought that changing their constitution would ease their problems. She said, there are no guarantees on amending the constitution, enforce the constitution, not amend it. And I think that that's an important sentence that we need to discuss. We are always looking to change things instead of enforcing what is currently existing in statute and in, in federal law. We don't like it, so we're going to change it, even though we've not tried to enforce it. I know when people have come to my office about Convention of States that they say they're really unhappy with what's going on at the federal level. And I asked them, so did you vote for those same people? Well, yeah, I voted for them because they have all this money and they're running and nobody's running against them. Well, that doesn't solve anything. It solves nothing. You can't keep doing the what ifs. What if we just change the Constitution? Wouldn't this be better? Would it be better or would we still have big money in elections? Heck, Senator Halloran, you won't even vote my dark money bill out of the government committee. You talk about big money and you talk about um, people getting funded that shouldn't be in office, but yet I have a dark money bill here in the Nebraska legislature in the government committee that you won't vote out. That's kind of hypocritical in my personal opinion. Reading on, Senator David Johnson from Rapid City said, Convention of States has spent millions of dollars in dark money. Oh gosh, that's 
kind of redundant, in an attempt to change the Constitution. In the past 10 years, only $3,000 of that money has come from South Dakota, though, he did say. Our Constitution is not the problem. The problem is big money in campaigns, special interests, partisan interests. I mean, heck, look at our body. We know there are people that are in here that without some of the big partisan money would probably not be here. We know there are people that are in here that were purposely put up for an election because certain folks weren't happy with how the previous, and in this case it was Republicans, were doing in our body. And so those people were basically run out of town. And some of them were really good senators, senators that were nonpartisan and believed in the beautiful bipartisan spirit of the Nebraska unicameral. I'm really confused, really confused why we're trying to change the Constitution based on the fact that we want to see effective change. But yet, we see the same things going on at the state level. They're obviously never going to change. We're going to see the same things going on whether you change the Constitution or not at the federal level because there's always going to be dark money until people are brave enough to vote bills like that out of the hearing, Senator Halloran. And again, the fact that there are people on this floor that are voting today because they traded votes kind of makes me sick to my stomach. Either a bill is a good bill or is a bad bill. If you can't get your bill pushed forward and you don't have enough votes to push it forward, then you need to amend your bill or you need to try again the next year. But to trade votes means that something's defective. And I'm not sure what that is, but I am going to continue to talk on this. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Senator Blood. Senator Breezy. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. President, and good morning, colleagues. I rise to support Senator Halloran <clears throat> and applaud his efforts uh, in his relentless pursuit in an application for an Article V Convention of States. I, I believe that the burgeoning and out-of-control federal debt is one of the greatest threats to our future and the future of our children and the future of our grandchildren and so on. And I believe in term limits. I believe in term limits for us. I believe in term limits for Congress. And if you believe as I do, you have to ask yourself, how else are you going to get this done? How else are you going to curtail out-of-control federal spending? How else are you going to get term limits in Congress? Senator Halloran's on the right track here. And as far as Senator Moorfeldt's amendment, I don't really think it's necessary. But any time we can take a step that will help ensure that we are protecting Second Amendment rights, probably ought to do it. So I'm going to support AM 1545. I'm going to support LR 14. And with that, I would yield the rest of my time to Senator Halloran. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Senator Breezy. Senator Halloran, uh, three minutes, 50. Uh, thank you, Senator DeBreezy. Um Well, you know, since we're, we're, we're wanting to hypothetically suggest there's skullduggery going on, let's, let's talk about uh, let's talk about an unfriendly amendment, okay? We've heard of that before, unfriendly amendment, kind of kills the bill, kills the resolution. Uh, this body is typically in favor of the Second Amendment, right? So what's the unfriendly amendment that this resol resolution provides? These resolutions, when they're put before Congress as a call for a convention of states, have to be identical. Senator Moorfield knows that. You know, he should run for 
He should run for office like Lancaster County attorney or something. He's a smart man. So by putting this amendment up there, something that we're conservatives all in favor of, for example, puts us in that spot, right? Oh, gosh, let's put them on the spot. Let's put them on the spot where they have to say they're against the Second Amendment if they vote against this. But if they vote for it, it kicks this one out. It kicks this call out for a, a convention of states, call for a convention of states. Pretty sneaky there, Senator Moorfield, but uh, I don't think you should be able to pull this one off. This, this AM 1545, this, this belongs in what I call a faithful delegate bill. L LR 195, right? LB 195, excuse me. It's a faithful delegate bill that is designed by this body or would be designed by this body ultimately to define to the commissioners or the delegates that go to this convention what they can and can't do. And if they don't abide by that faithful delegate bill, then they're yanked home in disgrace. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's designed. Now, uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, I guess my opening statement fell on some deaf ears, but a convention of states cannot amend the Constitution. Point out to me, Senator Moorfield, where that it takes place. Point out to me in, the, in, in Article 5 where it indicates that a convention of states can amend the Constitution. I'll let you do it on your next time up. That's fine. It doesn't happen. It's not prescribed in Article 5. It's not prescribed anywhere in the Constitution. Nor can Congress do it. Congress cannot amend it. The only party that can amend, it, amend the Constitution is the states. That was the framers' desire, to make sure that the states had the opportunity to address... A time? One minute? The founders had anxiety about one thing primarily. They had anxiety that this federal government that they were designing, and they knew they needed a federal government. The federal government that they were designing, their overriding fear was is that it would be overreaching. Why was there a fear of that? Well, they had just won a revolutionary war against a country that, that was, uh, was tyrannical in that case. That's why, that's why they fought the revolutionary war. But they didn't want to return to that type of government style, right? So they put Article 5 in to give the states equal footing with Congress to propose amendments to put some sense of control back into the states for an overreaching federal government. That's all it is, no more, no less. But I look forward to uh, Senator Moorfield finding in the Constitution where it says that a convention of states can amend the Constitution. It cannot. That's time. Thanks, Senator Halloran. Senator Hunt. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Good morning, colleagues. Good morning, Nebraskans. For me, on LR14 and any other convention of states bill that we've had come through the government committee or that we've discussed over my time here, um, there's nothing really inherently scary about it to me. The gut check is kind of there, right? Yes, I believe that spending is out of control. Yes, I believe that the people don't have as much of a voice in Congress as they should. Yes, I agree that Congress is broken. There are lots and lots of problems um, going on in our federal government, and something like a convention of states, once you learn about it the first time, it's like, 
okay, well, that makes some sense. It's really cool that we have this little like escape hatch trap door in the Constitution that will allow us to put this check on government, this check on Congress. And I agree with Senator Breezy that Senator Halloran is on the right track. Um, but in policymaking, in lawmaking, especially when you're dealing with things that are so consequential, you can't just stop at, it's a good idea. You have to keep following through the logical conclusion and the policy implications and what the law actually says before you decide it's a good idea to move forward with. It's definitely a good idea. And I really enjoy listening to Senator Halloran talk about the Convention of States. Um, as I've learned a lot from him and I've heard him talk about it for many years here. Um, and I do think it's an interesting idea. I'm just not convinced that it's a good idea. I don't, I'm not convinced that um, it's a good idea outside of a philosophical exercise or some founding father's role play or something like that. Um, because in practice, in today's political climate, with the division that we have, with um, the special interests that we have that are putting dark money and um, you know all kinds of endless funding into different special interests. I don't think that a, a convention of states in 2022 or 23 or 24, any time in the modern era, would be anything the same as what they were doing in the 18th and 19th centuries. It just wouldn't go that way. I agree that our system is messed up. I agree that something needs to be done about it, and I completely understand the righteous anger of the people who are calling for a convention of states. But given the current political climate that we have in this country, it's highly racialized, voting rights are under attack, um, we're on the brink of authoritarianism, we have serious threats of fascism at the state level and at the federal level, and we're still slowly walking back some really wild stuff that happened in the last four years with President Trump. Something like this, I think, is not going to go well for the American people. I particularly don't support a convention of states um, under the framework that we have today. Not, not saying that there isn't some way that I could support it in the future, that there could be some kind of scenario where it would be a good idea, but I can't support LR14 because it opens the door for special interest groups, all kinds of money, all kinds of nefarious actors, you know, people don't, who don't really have the best of intentions for our democracy and our country to make wholesale changes to the U.S. Constitution. And to, if, if not changes to the U.S. Constitution, okay, then getting deep into the minds and the brains of the policymakers who have the potential to do that for real. And if you have a problem with money in politics now and in Congress and dark money influencing the law and the society that we live in, if we open up the U.S. Constitution to be influenced by these groups, thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. You know, there's nothing in Article 5 saying that, you know, Acme conglomerate ABC can't be the official corporate sponsor of the Convention of States. And what would that mean for our democracy? Would it really end up in the needs of the people being represented, or would it go back to corporate interests? Well, I'll tell you, the people don't have millions of dollars to spend lobbying for this kind of thing, so we know who's going to end up being in charge of it. And that's sort of the bulk of my opposition. Um, 
I think I, I will continue to listen to the conversation because I'm also continuing to learn, and this is a very fascinating topic. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Thank you, Senator Hunt. Mr. Clark, uh, new bills and other items for the record. You have been listening to live debate on the Convention of States resolution, that's LR14, on the floor of the Nebraska Senate. And again, if the Senate votes later this week or next week to pass that resolution, that would make Nebraska state number 16 to apply for an Article 5 convention to propose amendments that would impose fiscal restraints on Washington, D.C., limit its power and jurisdiction, and set term limits for federal officials. That's what is at stake here. It's nothing less than the ability of the states to intervene on behalf of the American people and take our government back, put Washington, D.C., back in its constitutional box. So you just heard some debate. Um, right now they're taking up some uh, procedural matters. We expect them to then break for lunch, and we do think they will come back to debating our resolution after their lunch break. Um, so I'll just say a few things about what you've just heard. First of all, I love Senator Halloran's introduction to the resolution. He talked about what he called FUD, F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And he warned us totally accurately that FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, is what would be introduced by those senators who don't actually have facts to back up their position um, in being opposed to the Convention of States resolution. He was exactly right. That is exactly what you heard if you have been listening. Um, I'm checking to see if our regional director, Dave Schneider, is available to join us for a few minutes. Um, for our broadcast. There we have Dave. Hey guys. Yeah, Dave. my internet's going, going in and out a little bit. I'm standing outside the chambers here in Nebraska, right outside the Unicamp chamber. And um, some interesting debates thus far, right, Rita? Right. Absolutely fascinating. So tell us about Senator Moorfield and what do you think he's trying to do with his amendment? Well, there's a lot of tongue in cheek. Um, he's not known for his Second Amendment gun protection, that's for sure. And he knows that uh, for theater, it does play to the conservatives to offer an amendment that uh, protects the Second Amendment. And as Senator Halloran did talk about that, it was an attempt to kill the bill. And it was great that um, Senator Halloran did address that. They haven't voted yet on that amendment, but again, he's no champion of the Second Amendment. And his own test, his own arguments on the floor contradicted the reasons why he was bringing the the actual amendment, uh, he, he said specifically that you can't control anything, yet he was trying to control it. So it's kind of funny, his double talk. Um, it, it just proves that he, he, he isn't serious, and he's just trying to create some static with the conservatives. Yeah, he, it seems like he's just trying to cause confusion. So tell us, Dave, what is the attitude like we saw the grassroots team get introduced from the floor? That was really exciting. What is the attitude like among the grassroots who are there to see this unfold? Well, the good news is I'm standing right next to Steve Jessen. So Steve 
he's uh, one of our. Hold on, I got to get my camera angle here. Wow, there we go. <laughs> so everything's in reverse. So yeah. Steve Gesson is one of our biggest champions in the Capitol building. He's been doing just an amazing work here in the Capitol. Spent more time than anybody. Uh, so Steve, what's what's been the attitude thus far? Well, we got supporters here. They're lined up, and uh, we got introduced actually at the beginning, as everybody probably saw. But uh, I'm feeling, I still feel good. Everything looks good. Uh, so far, I haven't heard any arguments that uh, would change any votes. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you. On behalf of the national team and all the Americans watching you right now on COS Live on Facebook, thank you for being there. It is such a sacrifice, and we just appreciate your commitment. You are an example for the rest of America watching right now of what we need to take back our government. Thank you so much. Yep. You're welcome. Indeed, Steve has just been an absolute champion in this building. Uh, it's it's fun to be with him. He's a he's a little bit of a rock star now. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Dave, before we let you go, I'm sure you need to run and get some lunch, and we need you to stay energized and fed. Before we let you go, what do you expect to happen next? Uh, you're going to see more of the same. I, I anticipate when they come back, you're going to hear some more on this amendment because they have not yet voted on the amendment. They'll hopefully kill that amendment and then move on probably to another one. Uh, so my guess is uh, we're going to have more of the same this afternoon, some ad hominem attacks on convention of states uh, from the leftists that are certainly opposing the effort. Um, we'll probably get through today and um, we're looking at a vote maybe tomorrow morning, I, I, somewhere around that point. It depends on how long the debate goes today, but uh, stay tuned. It's going to be fun. Okay, well, we'll stay tuned. They're not going to wear us down. I know our grassroots, and they do not go away. <laughs> no, no, they're hanging out right here. They're all around. All right. Hey, everybody, go Nebraska. I've got my flag here. We're hungry as wolves. <laughs> yeah, we're with you. Keep up the good work. There we are. All right, guys, thanks for, thanks for being on today, and uh, yep. let's go Nebraska. All right. That was Dave Schneider, our regional director for Nebraska. He is there on the ground in the Nebraska unicameral legislature, the Nebraska Senate. If Nebraska votes to pass this resolution, either this week or next week, then Nebraska would become state number 16 in our quest for 34 states to pass the resolution. Once 34 states have passed it, that will trigger the convention and the states can get to work on amendments that limit federal power and put Washington, D.C. back in its constitutional box. I know you viewers at home are watching, waiting, hoping that this will happen. Our grassroots team is there in Nebraska in the legislature today, along with our regional director, Dave Schneider. You're seeing some photos of our grassroots team. That's Dave Schneider there in the right corner. And they have worked really hard to bring us to this moment. Our Senate sponsor there in Nebraska, Senator Steve Halloran, has worked very hard. He has made Convention of States his priority resolution for this session, which gives it a special place on the calendar when it's called up. 
And without his championship there, uh, we wouldn't have come to this point without our grassroots army being dedicated and being there on the ground, contacting their legislators, we would not have gotten to this point. So we started this morning. The resolution was called up. Our sponsor, Senator Holleran, introduced it. And right away, the debate began. We have expected all along that the leftists there in the Nebraska legislature would try to filibuster this resolution. They are feeling really threatened by the prospect of the states getting together to use their constitutional power under Article 5 to rein in the overreaching runaway federal government that's sitting in Washington, D.C. The leftists, the progressives, they don't want this to happen. They are feeling threatened by it. And so we are looking at the potential of a pretty long filibuster there in Nebraska. So we had debate this morning for, I don't know, an hour or two. Then the Senate broke for lunch, and now they are just now coming back and getting back into their seats. It looks like they're doing a roll call right now. So in just a few minutes, once they get started, we are going to be broadcasting that session debate live right here. So stay right there if you want to see it. There you go. You can see what's happening now. They're still in the roll call. And then we're pretty sure we're hearing from Dave Schneider on the ground that he thinks we will be the first measure they take up as soon as they start up again any moment now. So we heard from some of the opposition um, before the break, and the big thing that happened was a very progressive member of the Nebraska Senate introduced an amendment. He's trying to amend our Convention of States resolution. And to hear him introduce it, the amendment sounds very benign. He says he just wants to make sure that at the convention, our Second Amendment rights would be protected. Well, the amendment is completely unnecessary. Our Second Amendment rights are not on the table at this convention. This convention would only be empowered to propose amendments that limit the federal government's power. So the Convention of States called pursuant to our resolution would have no power whatsoever to limit our civil rights or to do anything that would threaten the Second Amendment or any other parts of the Bill of Rights. That is just not on the table. So the amendment's completely unnecessary. Our sponsor, Senator Halloran, spoke against the amendment just because he knows that the goal with the amendment is to cause confusion among the Convention of State supporters and potentially to hurt the chances that the resolution will aggregate with the rest of the states that have already passed the resolution. That's 15 states have passed it already. Um, Senator Halloran talked about how the opponents that we will hear from in the debate are operating out of what he calls FUD, F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. They don't actually have facts to back up their opposition, so they rely on fear, 
uncertainty and doubt. And along the way, we've already heard them and you'll hear some more if you keep listening. They say things that are just completely untrue. They say, for instance, we have no idea how an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments would operate because the details are not spelled out in Article 5. Well, that's simply not true. The details of a grand jury or habeas corpus are not spelled out in the Constitution. The reason we know how those processes work is because we have a long and rich history of dealing with those processes in America. They are known as a matter of history. The same is true for an interstate convention. And an Article 5 convention to propose amendments is just a type of interstate convention where the state legislatures choose and commission their delegations to go into this meeting to consider the objects that are on the agenda. The agenda is contained in the applications. Here, producer G has very helpfully put up a graphic to illustrate how the process works. The people lead Citizens ask their state legislators to sponsor and support the resolution. The people of Nebraska have done that. Step two, the state legislators act. Senator Steve Halloran in Nebraska sponsored the Convention of States resolution. It has passed out of committee already. And now we're at the stage where we're getting ready for the floor vote on the language. Nebraska only has one chamber. So we only need to pass in the Senate, which is where we are now, and that would be final passage. Producer G, it looks like they're getting started again with debate, so let's go live. Today, in opposition to LR14, I've opposed this concept in the past. I've opposed this particular legislative resolution last year as well. And rather than talking about my opposition, which I think has been... Uh, we might have more time for that later, but rather than talking about my opposition broadly uh, that's been in the record over multiple years, I want to talk about specifically what has been happening today and some of the terms that have been used so far. In his opening, Senator Halloran talked about the acronym of FUD, or fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and accused anybody who was working to oppose LR14 as taking apparently a crystal clear concept and using unnecessary or unneeded uncertainty and doubt to oppose it. Colleagues, any fear, uncertainty, and doubt I have about LR14 is baked into the document as it exists, as it introduced, as it is available for us to vote on. And here's why. We have been told that this can be a limited convention, that the subjects, the matters, the op options, what the potential delegates can do can all be limited. And shortly thereafter, we proposed an amendment to limit the delegates, to limit the convention, and we were told that if any changes happened to LR14 at all, it would be null and void. So we are told inherently that this is going to be limited, but that we ourselves cannot limit it in any form, shape, or way today, because that undercuts and will automatically be a poison pill. If we as the state legislatures are going to have some limits on what this convention proposes, 
How are we to do that if we cannot amend the document here today that Senator Halloran and others are asking us to vote on? You'll note that LR14 is itself already broad. Um, I actually don't think many of my concerns to LR14 relate to a runaway convention because the charter in charge of LR14 is so broad it could be just about anything. I believe the line is the convention can propose any sort of restrictions on the powers or jurisdiction of the federal government. Any restriction on any power or any restriction on any jurisdiction of the federal government. Colleagues, about everything would be germane there as long as it is a restriction. You pick a department out of the hat, you pick an agency out of the hat, can eliminate it, can ban it. You pick a topic out of the hat, you pick a subject matter, you can ban the federal government from doing it. Just about the only thing that's safe is, is uh, expanding the powers. Um, and I understand why we're not interested in, in desiring to do that either. So while this gets pitched as a balanced budget focused thing, we're worried about the national debt, we're worried about you know, out of control spending. The actual language that we're being asked to vote on would enable people to propose to eliminate any portion of the federal government. Uh, uh, like propose you know, eliminating the House, the Senate, uh, propose eliminating you know, the Department of Education, the Department of Transportation, what have you. Department of Justice, propose eliminating whole classes of crimes, propose um, eliminating whole classes of aid to states, propose on eliminating all sorts of different things as long as it is restrictive. That's the uncertainty we're walking into, is really anything could come out of this convention without it being a runaway convention. And I think it certainly is possible for it to be even a runaway convention on top of that, because if something arguably doesn't fall within those bounds, there's no clear mech or challenge to do that other than us as the state legislatures. And I get that. But when we talk about, you know, don't inject doubt, don't inject uncertainty to the process, we can't even necessarily get a straight answer about how or if or where we can limit this convention. It's been simultaneously said we can limit it, but we can't limit it by proposing amendments here today, which makes me question whether or not that's an actual sincere thought that this could be limited. We are gonna to have to keep working on this. I certainly will not support anything that puts voting rights or other things um, at risk uh, in today's political environment. So that's why I have my continued opposition to LR14. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Senator Matt Hansen. Senator John Kavanaugh. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Welcome to 2022. This is my first time speaking as well. Um, well, first off, I just want to say that I join in several people's questions and concerns about this uh, resolution, and I think it's important that we have a deliberative conversation about this. But I wanted to make sure everybody saw I had circulated uh, what would be considered a comic strip uh, about the Constitution. I just want to make sure everybody knew the, the, I guess, I had some questions about where it came from. So I'll hold up for everybody this book called Fault Lines in the Constitution, the graphic novel, which I just picked up at the, the comic book shop Legends Comics in District 9 in Midtown Omaha, which is a great shop that's moving. And I would encourage anybody to shop there or at their new location. Uh, but I circulated this because it was, I thought it was very 
apropos for what we're discussing today, where the founders, framers back in 1787, are discussing ways to amend the Constitution, uh, and one person suggests proposing amendment process that relies on legislatures calling for another convention. Uh, and then they say, but the delegates might get carried away and undo all of our hard work after we completely overturn the Articles of Confederation. And then, uh, or after all, we completely overturn the Articles of Confederation. And the guy says, it could happen. Fair point. So, or could happen again. So that's kind of what Senator Moorfeld mentioned. That's what Senator Halloran has uh, addressed as people have raised as a concern. Um, of, and as Senator Hansen just mentioned, is what's considered a runaway convention. But Senator Halloran did a very nice job in his introduction, talking about a lot of concerns up front. Uh, and I was sitting there, I was listening to your address, and I was writing down my comments and my notes and my thoughts that I've got about questions. And I'm not going to be able to get to all of my questions right now, but uh, I do think it is important. You hit the nail on the head when you talked about amending the Constitution is a difficult process where you talked about the fact that uh, this convention cannot itself amend the Constitution. It can make proposals to amendments to the Constitution, and that it would take three-fourths of the states to ratify that. This is a purposefully difficult process. Uh, it would require, uh, or the other amendment process aside from the Convention of States is by an act of Congress with two-thirds of the members of Congress would propose an amendment that then again would have to be ratified by three-fourths of the states. and so. My point in reiterating all this is it is meant to be a difficult, deliberative process, and it is incumbent upon us to ask those questions that sort of suss out why, why we're doing this, whether this is the right action, whether this is the right way to proceed. Senator Hunt did a nice job of pointing out the places where we agree about this resolution. Uh, the resolution asks, calls for imposition of fiscal restraint on the federal government. I've gotten a lot of emails from my constituents who have expressed that shared concern, I share that concern. Senator Halloran circulated the federal budget, the U.S. debt clock here, and I would just draw your attention to about the middle of the page, defense spending, $720 billion. Uh, that number is, I think, from last year. The new budget number is $768 billion. Someone could correct me. But the, so the defense budget has essentially gone up, going up another $42 billion. Uh, the $42 billion difference between the previous defense budget and the new defense budget is a relatively small portion of the federal deficit as listed at, I believe it's $2.8 on this clock. But my point is that we can probably all have an agreement that there's money being spent by the federal government that we would rather they not spend. But the question becomes, when you get to this, how is that fiscal strain going to be in, imposed? What what is it that we agree is a reasonable fiscal restraint? Uh, so I, I think I might have a different interpretation of where I want it restrained or how I want it addressed than some other people. And I think it's important that we have that conversation. So was that one minute? I'll push my button again to get back in. Uh, but I think it is important to recognize that the comments and concerns raised here, though some maybe are not all in, in uh, constructive criticisms, uh, I would tell you that I hope you take my questions and my concerns as constructive because I do agree with the, out, the, the objectives set out here uh, in this, and I might, as articulated, I might disagree with them as uh, expanded upon, but I agree with them in principle that we should uh, be looking for further restraints on federal spending and that we should be looking for further restraints on the exercise of federal power. But the question is what spending, what power, 
Uh, I'm probably not really going to agree on the term limits, but we can have a conversation about what exactly those term limits would be. But the question, I think, and the reason I have my questions is whether this is the mechanism to do That's that. Time, Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Thanks, Senator John Kavanaugh. Senator DeBoer. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Good afternoon, colleagues. Happy New Year, Nebraska. I was wondering if Speaker Hilgers would yield to a question. Speaker Hilgers, yield, please. Speaker Hilgers, I'm just trying to sort of understand what the procedure is this morning. Well, it's not this morning anymore, this afternoon, as we're going through this, because this is an LR and um, we have different procedures uh, sometimes for LRs than we do for bills. So um, can you tell me, is this uh, motion for debate today on this LR, is this general file and then there will be select and final, or is this a one-round debate sort of thing? No, it's a good question, Senator, Senator DeBoer. This is, this is an LR, but it is treated as a bill given the subject matter, which means, among other things, there will be three rounds of debate. Okay. Thank you, Senator Hilgers. Um, so the next question I have is for Senator Halloran. Senator Halloran, yield, please. Yes, certainly will. Senator Halloran, you and I had a conversation, I believe it was last Thursday, about uh, your LR. And I told you I was uh, considering things within it, and we had a discussion about the three uh, areas matters. of the call. Subject matters. Thank mm -hmm. you, Senator Halloran. Um, so I understand the uh, term limits one. I think that's pretty straightforward. The fiscal restraints on federal government, you and I had a conversation that you, rather than saying balanced budget, you wanted to do fiscal restraints. Can you, I'll give you a second to say why you wanted to phrase it that way. Just a second. All right. Okay. You're done. No, no I'm just thank, <laughs> thank you, Senator DeBoer, for the question. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the fiscal restraint, the language is broad for a reason, because we don't want to tie the hands of the commissioners at a convention of states to such specific language that they can't move away from that to, to open up, uh, to open up uh, their creativity on how to do it. Uh, on restraint, fiscal restraint, I admire what the Swiss are doing to control their national spending. The Swiss have what they call a debt break, B-R-A-K-E, debt break. And the concept behind the debt break is simply limiting the amount of debt that their nation has relative to their gross domestic spending or their gross domestic product. Uh, and the purpose for that is, and, is, and they've been quite successful at it, the purpose of that is is that it allows the debt to be relative to their ability to pay for it. The economies go up and down. We've seen that here, seen it everywhere. But that's the concept for that. Okay. So um, then the last one, this is the one that gave me pause over the weekend, I'll tell you. Uh, the last of the three, and I want to read it uh, to make sure I get it, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. That's the one that gives me pause because it is so broad when we're talking about we're going to have a limited convention. That one seems to me the limit the power, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. I don't see how that limits anything. It could just about be anything under the limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Do you have any response to that? I think the underlying guidelines for that subject matter will be the Tenth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment narrowly defines what the uh, authority is of the federal government. It's in our Constitution now, and all other authority belongs to the states. So it's an effort for the states to look at this and say, okay, what did, 
What, what rights have we for, uh, relinquished to the federal government? And should we, should we pull those back as sovereign states and under the Constitution, under the enumerated rights and authority, pull that back to the states for some of that authority? So when you say that, there's, there's a certain amount of sense and maybe- One minute. Maybe a little, thank you. There's a, a little bit of guidance to that, but that isn't what it says. It is, is it, so with the thing with the Second Amendment and all of that, is it true then that we cannot, we have to take this or leave it, we can't change it in any way? Well, as I spoke with Senator Moorfield on the, on the floor, uh, these, these uh, proposals for a call for a convention of states have to be identical. If there's any differences in the calls for a convention of states, they will not be counted towards that 34 states. Now, we could do an amendment such as Senator Moorfield's proposing. Uh, we could do that in a faithful delegate bill, which would need to be done so that we give guidance to the commissioners. We could do that in that kind of a bill so that we give a directive to those commissioners about what they can and can't do. Okay. I'll have to look into that uh, second aspect some more. Thank you, Senator Halloran. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Senator DeBoer and Senator Halloran. Senator Michaela Kavanaugh. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Good afternoon, colleagues, and good afternoon, Nebraska. Uh, and welcome to 2022. I um, am just reading over the resolution and AM 1545. And I am certainly going to vote to adopt this amendment. Um, Senator Moorfield's amendment reaffirms its commitment to the legislature's commitment to protecting the gun rights of Nebraskans, which is something that I think is important for us to continue to maintain as a priority as legislators. I know that if we didn't, that our constituents would feel that we were failing them in our jobs. So I appreciate this amendment. Um, I do have some concerns about LR14. Uh, when we've had previous debate here on bills that are interstate compacts, it kind of reminds me of this LR. And when we've had those interstate compacts, that's basically the state of Nebraska joining with other states that have signed up to do the same thing for the same uh, area of practice. So it could be teachers. We make our education requirements for teachers and the training requirements for teachers. We have our standards in Nebraska. If we were to enter into a compact with seven other states or however many were required to enact the compact, we would then be beholden to the regulations of that compact. When people come into our state, we have to, have, we have to take them and certify them in our state without them going through the certification process because of the compact. And when we do these compacts, we've put a lot of guardrails into the legislation that we pass about we will, what we will and will not agree to. Um, and I'm sure Senator Blood would be able to explain this so much better than me because she's done so many uh, of our compact bills. But that's what comes to mind. And when I see amendments like Senator Moorfeld's that make sure that things that are really essential to Nebraskans are maintained, I think that that's something that is really important for us to add to this resolution. Um, I, I understand from Senator Halloran that adopting this resolution would not be, adopting this amendment to the resolution would do damage to the resolution itself and its effectiveness. However, without guardrails, 
I don't have faith in our federal uh, system to abolish our, our Constitution and let our federal people rebuild it as it is. Um, I think that it's better for them to have more limited authority and just amend the Constitution instead of rebuilding the Constitution. Um, I do have a question. How much time do I have left? Uh, 1.55. Okay. Senator Halloran, if he would yield to a question. Senator Halloran, yield, please. Yes, certainly. Thank you so much. Um, I actually am a little confused on this point, and I was trying to read through your speech again to see if it was there, and I'm sorry if I missed it, but who would represent the state at the convention? How is, how is that selected? Uh, it would be selected in the same fashion that it has been selected historically in the past. Conventions of states are not a new concept. Before and after the signing of the Constitution, conventions of states were very common, and I'll get into that in more detail later. Okay. But they're chosen, the commissioners are chosen by their state legislatures. And how many commissioners does each state have? A state can choose as many as they like, but each state will only have one vote. It's not proportioned by population. And what is the requirement in the state legislature for uh, appointing somebody? We, as a legislature, appoint someone, or does the governor put forth a nominee and then we accept that nominee? Uh, we in the state would do it. Again, that would be something that would be and should be spelled out, and we can spell it out, in what I referred to as a faithful delegate amendment. It would spell out all these all these questions that we might have about how they're chosen, how many are chosen, what they're being held accountable to, and what happens if they don't hold to the call of the convention and so forth. So we, we can put a faith, faithful delegate motion in, or language into this? It has to be a separate bill. Oh, okay. Right? I see. Yeah, the purpose, the reason I called it a poison amendment by Senator Moorfield was that because all of these calls for a convention of states, an Article 5 convention, have to be precisely identical. We've been very careful about every state having the same language so that when That's they're time. counted... That time? That's time. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you Senator, Senator Halloran. Thanks, Senator Kavanaugh. Senator Halloran. Senator Friesen. Thank you, Mr. President. I rise in support of LR14 and oppose to the amendment of Senator Moorfeld um, you know, sometimes you, you may try to box me into a spot, but I don't get boxed in very easily because this is very spelled out and, and we have to stick with the, the script here in the LR and I think everyone knows this and so the political theater that we do by uh, trying to put something like this in front of us is just, it makes for good entertainment, but we are talking about a very serious subject here. Um, I've been a part of a mock convention of states and I've followed this uh, for a number of years and if any of you here right now feels that our federal government is not broken, then I, I'd like to talk to you because I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, they're not capable of doing anything. They shovel money out the door like it's fast as the printing presses can run it. They don't seem to have a longer term plan. They're unwilling to address the immigration issues. They're a system that doesn't work until the states finally take back some of the power that we've given them over the years. 
We have handed them that authority. When they dangle that carrot in front of us, we reached out and we grabbed it and we said, okay, let's let the feds do it. Let's let the federal government handle this. It's too hard for us. And now when they're broken, what do we do? To me, um, when we talk about legislation in the state of Nebraska, we pass things here in Lincoln that probably don't work out in Grant or North Platte or Scotts Bluff. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And so when I look at what the federal government tries to do sometimes, I mean, sometimes they just need to send money out to the states if they have money and let us figure out what's best for Nebraska, what's best for California. But instead, we're starting to let them dictate everything we do and I think that makes for a longer term is gonna be a failure. And if you look at the debt that we're servicing right now and if interest rates double, um, I remember when I started farming, interest rates were nine and a half percent and went to 18%. If something like that happens to our interest rates, our federal budget deficit is gonna be so large, we'll have to start cutting programs or eventually the bond buyers will tell us that we're broke. No one will want to buy our bonds anymore. It's happened in other countries, it happened in Greece. And if we don't start saying no, it'll just continue to happen. So when they dangle a bag of cash in front of us and say, oh, let's start these programs, let's start that program, and then later they pull the rug out from under us and we're the ones ending up with the bag. And if you watch how the federal government's working right now, it is so partisan up there, there is nothing comes out of there. We've got to find a way to wake them up and to say that out here, the people still care about what you do. And we want you to fix it or we will. And I think the time has come when we have to say we're going to fix it. And I think that's the only one they're gonna listen to is when we finally say, look, you're overreaching in your regulations. You're spending too much. And I'll be the first one to say, I'm not a fan of the balanced budget amendment. I probably wouldn't support that if I was there. But I think it needs to be talked about. I think it needs to be addressed, and I think there is probably some solution. But no, I don't think I'd support a balanced budget. It doesn't work for everyone. But again, we have to at least have the conversation One minute. so that the federal government finally realizes that the states are, are sincere about this. We're tired of their games. It's time to get to work. And just shoveling money out the door does not make it work. We're on the verge of bankruptcy if they don't straighten up. And yet they continue to want to shovel money out that door with no guidelines and just let us to me, waste dollars. We've got to come up with long-term plan on how to fix some of these things like infrastructure and things like that. It can't be a, here's a billion dollars, get it done by 2025. It doesn't work that way. We need to take control again. The states can do a better job of deciding how some of these programs should be implemented and done. So therefore, I'm a very strong advocate of states' rights, and we need to take some of that power back. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Senator Friesen. Senator Halloran. I'm up. All right. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, there's a lot of consternation about this concept of a convention of states. 
what is a convention of states? Was it something that was fabricated for just this purpose, right? To call a convention to gather states together to discuss and propose amendments? No, a convention of states was quite common in the pre and post uh, uh, Constitution signing in Philadelphia. There were at least 34 conventions that were, were held in the early years. These conventions were called between the states to solve issues. They were, they were called to solve territorial issues, boundary issues, issues with the Indians, issues with Canada. Uh, they, were, they were drawn together to uh, deal with commerce between the states. Conventions of states was common at that time. It was a common means of, of, of answering and addressing these questions and issues. So when the Founding Fathers did Article 5, and they used the term, the concept of a gathering convention of states, it was something quite common to them. They understood that it worked, that they were formed for a purpose, they were formed uh, by the call that they were called for, and there's 34 there's 34 conventions of states that have been, were held before, uh, split differently, the difference between before and after the Constitution was written. And there's no his, history, no history of all, that any one of those conventions ever went beyond the call of their conventions. And so the protocol for those conventions, I think I'm addressing some of Senator Kavanaugh's questions and maybe some of... Uh, Senator DeBoer's questions. Those conventions were called with specific calls. They had a specific protocol. They had a history of having how many commissioners were from each state, and, uh, and, and they, had a, they had a protocol of keeping those commissioners to the call of the convention and addressing the issue at hand, and when, they, when the convention at that time, whatever purpose they were held, solved their issues, or to the satisfaction of the convention solved their issues, they were dissolved, right? They had solved the problem at hand. So, they, so the concept, uh, the instrument of a convention of states was typical protocol, was typical, uh, typically used very commonly in and around the time of forming the Constitution. So the Founding Fathers saw no reason to go into great length. Maybe that's bad on them, maybe they should have. But they saw no reason to go into great length in detailing what a convention of states was. They were very familiar with it. That's in the history books. Uh, I would encourage you all to become more familiar with the history of the, of the Constitution in that period of time. So I can understand the consternation about what is this convention of states? Was it fabricated out of whole cloth just to do proposing amendments? No, it wasn't. It was, a, it was an instrument that was commonly used at the time. Now, another example, another example of what's uh, stated in the Constitution that they didn't give a great deal of detail about is writ of habeas corpus, right? If you look up in the Constitution where they, where they indulge in, in agreeing that writ of habeas corpus was important and it should be in the Constitution, they did not go into a definition of what habeas corpus was. They all got it. They all knew what it was. They didn't have to define it. And maybe they were making a broad assumption One that in the future, that in the future, uh, all Americans would understand what uh, habeas corpus is and why it's important. 
Well, the same holds true for a convention of states. Time has lapsed, and we're not familiar with that instrument of using a convention of states, but they did, they understood it, they knew it worked, and they knew that there was protocol for it. They were not concerned about a runaway convention. Thank you. Thanks, Senator Helen. Senator Morfeld. Thank you, Mr. President. Colleagues, um, I'm glad that Senator Howland brought up habeas corpus because habeas corpus has been defined by the Supreme Court and its constructs and contours have been defined by the Supreme Court in opinions subsequent to the passage and the ratification of our Constitution. So it's not true that everybody just woke up the next morning and knew exactly what the constraints or lack thereof of habeas corpus contained. People generally knew what the concept was. It was applied in court and precedent was made. There is no Supreme Court precedent on an Article V convention. You cannot find it. That is why many prominent jurists and members of the Supreme Court have stated that they have concerns. For instance, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, quote, I would not want a convention. Whoa, who knows what would come of it? Former Supreme Court Justice Warren Burger, there is no way, quote, there is no way to effectively limit or muzzle the actions of a constitutional convention. The convention would make its own rules and set its own agenda, much like this body does itself. Harvard Law School Professor Lawrence Tribe, quote, what you are doing is putting a whole constitution up for grabs, end of quote. Colleagues, this is not just a theoretical exercise. In fact, there's not much theory behind it because there's no precedent behind it. Senator Halloran brings up instances of states informally meeting to address issues before the Constitution was ratified, and that is not precedent. That's a group of states that got together to address a, a bunch of issues informally and come up with solutions. It was not a formal call and convention. And I'm fully aware that the convention's called, that they come up with a proposed constitution, and then the states have to ratify it. But the first step is to have this convention. And that was the first step when we created the current constitution that we have now, is they created this constitution, and then the states had to ratify it, and after a period of time, they did. And it was a pretty radical document at the time, quite frankly. A lot of people at that time, if you look at the commentary, didn't think that enough states would sign on to actually pass the Constitution at that time, but they did. And I think that everybody knows that with the political upheaval that we have now across all ideological spectrums of our country, there's a very real possibility that a similarly radical document could be ratified by the states as well. That's not outside the realm of reality. It certainly could. And we all know that when we come down in a deliberative body, in a legislative body, which is what this convention of the states would be, that people will start making deals to get things done. And there will be things in that document that comes out that some of us will like, and there will be things that some of us do not like. And in the end, the states are going to be put in the position of determining whether or not you accept the lesser of the evils. And if you think for a minute that people will not be tempted to vote for a proposed constitution 
that has a balanced budget amendment, but might have a few other things they don't like so much, but they're really passionate about the balanced budget amendment, you're wrong, because we do that every single day. We do a cost-benefit analysis of legislation. Many of us have bit our tongue a little bit from time to time and gone, man, I like 75% of that piece of legislation. I don't like that 25%, but I really like that other 75%, and mm -hmm. I've had a lot of constituents call me and say, you should vote for this even if you don't like this part. People are going to start making those cost-benefit analysis when this comes back before us after a constitutional convention. Colleagues, this is a dangerous path. It's a dangerous path, and not only have myself and others recognized it, other states like South Dakota, our neighbor South Dakota, have rescinded it because they have seen how dangerous of a path it is. We need to tread carefully and lightly. And AM 1545 is a reasonable amendment that protects rights that I know a lot of Nebraskans, including myself as a gun owner, holds dear. So, if Senator Halloran's correct that we can limit the scope, then we should at least pass that safeguard before this advances. I urge you to vote green on my amendment and no on LR14. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Senator Marfeld. Senator Brewer. Thank you, Mr. President. I want to uh, stand in support of LR14 and in opposition to AM1545. But with that said, I probably need to give a little justification why I would stand in opposition to a bill that supposedly is supporting the Second Amendment. First off, I was sitting here a little bit in shock when it was presented this morning. Keep in mind that I may not be the best champion in this legislature for the Second Amendment, but I think I would be among those. And the one person who has generated hundreds of people into this building to defend their right to have the Second Amendment is the very person who proposed AM 1545. So forgive me if I felt like I was in the movie The Exorcist and the devil just walked into the church and the holy water started boiling. This is a rouge and nothing else is not to support the Second Amendment. It is to derail LR 14 and that's it. But let, let's just for a second stop and think about the comments by Senator Friesen and Senator Holleran uh, kind of follow with what I want to say. And I'm not going to repeat that, but I think if we don't stop for a moment and just think about the fact, this is the sixth time up that I have stood in support of this bill. I haven't changed my view. I maybe better understand the bill more than I did years ago when we started this process. But the fact is that from 20 trillion to 30 trillion, just while we have been in this body, should scare folks to death. You would have to be willing to say that there is no limit. We can spend and go in debt as much as we want. Print it, come up with it however you want, and it will not have any consequences. That's the mentality you have to say if we're going to say we're not going to do anything different. That's what we said six years ago. That's what some want to say now. And if we do that, you cannot help but set back and realize the train is running off the tracks. And the future for your children, your grandchildren, are going to be very bleak. Now, 
You can argue that if you want, but show me how we can continue to spend like we are. The issue of term limits is a factor because it's the same people making the same decisions about the same issues that have put us in this fix. So our decision here today is real simple. We either continue to do what we're doing and accept a fate that I don't want to accept, or we make change. It is that simple. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Senator Brewer. Senator Hunt. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. It's not that simple. It's not that we either continue to do what we're doing or we make no change at all. And it's not that LR14 is the only way for us to make any change. We have elections. We have all kinds of opportunities for people to become civically engaged in their communities. And these are really important ways to exercise change. These are really direct ways to affect what's happening in Congress. And it says something about the erosion of our democratic rights and system that the people feel like something like LR14 in a convention of states is the only effective way to make any change. It says the mindset that makes people say, we've got to overthrow the government, which happened last year on January 6th. So we need to think more realistically with a cooler head about what um, procedures and framework we already have in place thanks to our framers and thanks to our founding fathers to make the change that seems to be so important to everybody here. The reality is that this is not the same world that the framers lived in when the founding fathers were conceptualizing Amendment 5. The truth is most of the founding fathers would be out of their minds to find out that America decided to free the slaves or that women are voting or for that matter that we've closed our borders off and that there's people from Immigration's Custom and Enforcement that are chasing down migrants for doing nothing. There are a lot of things about our world today that would really shock the founding fathers. But none of us can know in 2022 what they would think about what we we're doing. All we can know in 2022 is what policies that we pass today are going to do to affect our future, what outcomes they might have. And I'm one of the first people to stand up and say, I support experimental policy. That's what I love about small government and state government is that in a city or in a state like Nebraska or in any of our cities through city council, we can try things. And we have the, the mobility and the nimbleness to change course. There's lots of policies that, that we've gotten together as a body to pass with the caveat that, you know, we're going to reevaluate this in three to five years and put a sunset on it. And if it's not working, um, we'll change our minds. That's actually when government is at its best. What was typically done at the time of the framing of the Constitution is just not interesting to me in terms of what we should do about policy in 2023. And it's not relevant to very much at all of what's happening in 2022. It's fun to learn about history. It's fun to romanticize what these men did. It's very important to you know the history of the world and the direction that we've gone on as, as a democratic republic. But ask yourself, you know, look around for real and ask yourself how much of the, the vision of freedom and independence is actually reflected in our government today in 2022. Look at the proponents of LR14 and look at some of the legislation that they're introducing. A lot of that does not do a lot to expand freedom or expand independence 
or protect the minority. So don't play mind reading, you know, what the founding fathers would have wanted, whatever. Like, that's not knowable. We literally can't know that. All we can know is what people are suffering with today, what our constituents are asking of us today, and what the real problems are in 2022, and that we, all of us have a very small slice of life to be in here and do something about it. In the big picture, maybe we're all here for eight years, maybe we come back and do 16 or, or 12 or something, but this is a really small portion of your life. One minute. And I think that something like LR14 is really a missed opportunity to spend time in the state legislature telling Congress what to do. Congress is never going to give any, they're not gonna give a care about what Nebraska's telling them to do. But in Nebraska, in the legislature here, we have a lot of individual power to make change that's going to affect people on an individual level. And that is the power of democracy. That's federalism. That's the right that we have here in this body. So let's stop asking Congress to do something and figure out how to fix things here in Nebraska for the people who live in our state. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Thanks, Senator Hunt. Senator Lindstrom. Thank you, Mr. President, and good afternoon, colleagues. Um, good to be back with you here on the first day of the floor debate. Um, I guess I don't understand quite the level of fear that exists with uh, going down the road of LR14. This is an issue that we've talked about for years. We, we um, Senator Ebke was one of the first people that uh, started this process years ago, uh, long before many of you were here. And as a veteran of the legislature, a few of us, myself and Senator Friesen, had the opportunity to participate in the mock uh, Convention of States. Uh, this is a uh, four or five or five six years ago we traveled out to williamsburg virginia and I, I i actually went out there because i was more curious than anything i wasn't that familiar with the convention of the states but after going through that process and and watching how this was going to take place if we do pass lr14 my fears were eliminated on what would be deemed as a runaway convention uh, one with lr14 and i and i uh, appreciate Senator Moorfeld's parliamentary uh, amendment there to kind of gum up LR14, but this has to be clean. So LR14 needs to stand alone so that it, it matches the rest of the states uh, currently. But when you go out there and you start talking about these, these issues that we have to agree upon, not only from uh, the standpoint of 34 states, but in the case of ratifying the Constitution 38 states, it would be very, very difficult to have a runaway convention. Uh, let's take the opposite side. Let's say that Oregon, as an example, wanted to start to mess with the Second Amendment. Well, I highly doubt that the uh, states in the Midwest or in the South would go along with that. It would be very difficult to find 38. What can we agree upon? I think term limits, uh, we could have that discussion, maybe less so, but I do think when Senator Brewer and some others mentioned, with the spending at the federal level, and this idea that we weren't built on states' rights, so that we aren't federalist uh, um, government, the notion that, that somehow we're centralized and that's how our founding was, this is in Article 5. This was put in the founding document because of such an issue that when the federal government gets out of control, it is incumbent upon us, not only as legislators, but as, as citizens of the state that we represent and citizens that are in this crowd today, that we step up and push back against federal government, federal overreach. It is there for a reason. And we're coming to a point here where people are frustrated, not only with mandates that are coming down, but the overreach that has been uh, continually perpetuated, not only in the last year, but for, for some time now, 
and citizens are fed up. And to me, LR14 is one of those things, and as legislators, we can send a message to the federal government that we've had enough. And if you believe in states' rights, which I do, then vote for LR14. Uh, you know, I appreciate the conversation that we'll have today, and I know Senator Halloran has some more to speak on, so I'll yield the rest of my time to Senator Halloran. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Senator Lindstrom. Senator Halloran, two minutes. Thank you, Senator Lindstrom. Uh, I just want to make a clarifi clarification. Uh, Senator Moorfield probably very innocently made a statement that is absolutely wrong. Uh, South Dakota has not rescinded uh, this resolution because it's never been passed there yet. Uh, South Dakota did pass a call for a convention of states for a balanced budget amendment, and they have not rescinded that. Have they rescinded some calls for a convention, uh, a convention of states? Yes, they have for various subject matters. One was polygamy. They felt that wasn't necessary anymore. So a broad statement suggesting that they've rescinded uh, Article 5 calls for a convention of states does not include this one, nor does it include the call that they have made and passed for a balanced budget amendment. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Sir Helen. Senator Matt Hansen. Thank you, Mr. President, and good afternoon again, colleagues. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the history of this, because when I bring up some of my concerns and some of my fears and some of my doubt based upon the plain text of LR14, because I want to make it incredibly clear, despite what some of the uh, proponents have been saying, this isn't just a balanced budget amendment. This isn't just a balanced budget or fiscal restraint proposal. It's a proposal to any restriction or any prohibition on powers or jurisdiction on the federal government. It could be anything on any branch for any topic on any avenue. It's more than just fiscal restraint. And the reason I bring that up is people talk about, oh, we've had uh, national conventions, we've had state conventions, we've had other things in the past. And yes, we have, and we've had some surprising and unprecedented results from them. You know, we talk about, uh, Senator John Kavanaugh mentioned that the Constitutional Convention, uh, the famous one in Philadelphia, threw out the Articles of Confederation. That convention proposed a new ratification that actually contradicted the Articles of Confederation. Articles of Confederation required unanimous consent and the uh, um, con Constitution that we currently have just had a supermajority. But that convention stemmed from an earlier convention that wasn't very successful, um, and the delegates there sought to leave and get more people to attend to the ultimate constitutional convention, the Philadelphia Convention. The prior convention was the Annapolis Convention. And the Annapolis Convention was to talk about trade amongst the states, to talk about trade rights amongst the states, and pretty much most specifically to hash out shipping and fishing rights along the Potomac and Chesapeake Bay between Maryland and Virginia. And I bring all this up, and I bring all this up as relevant because we went from a dispute over fishing rights, really a dispute over the charter of who owned which part of the Potomac River, and within a few short years, that dispute evolved into us completely abolishing our system of government, inventing the bicameral uh, legislature of Congress with the great compromise, with proportional representation in the House, equal representation in the Senate, and all of these things because Maryland and Virginia couldn't figure out fishing. 
I bring all of this up to say that any time LR14 gets glossed over as being straightforward or simple or predictable, we know from our history that that is not the case. We know from our history that when somebody has the opportunity to have the floor and propose drastic changes to our government, they will. And sure, you know, we can debate about how likely each relevant provision is to be ratified, but why would you even wanna say, oh, if it goes haywire, which I concede it might, we can stop it later. Why, why would you wanna start that motion to begin with? And again, I'm not necessarily making a slippery soap argument or I'm not worried about a runaway convention, because for me, the plain text of LR14, the any restriction on the federal government opens up subject matters that I would like to just take off the table. I would like to know that, say, for example, voting is going to be secure. I would like to know that some of the amendments protecting voting rights are not going to be up for discussion. I would like to know that some of the protections we have for our elections are not going to be on the table, because ostensibly, all we've really talked about, the two specific proposals we've really talked about, are term limits in Congress and a balanced budget or some other fiscal levers um, and balance. One minute. Those are clear, those are ones people can conceptualize, and I understand when people hear those two why they might be appealed to it, but if we're talking about you know, changing voting rights, if we're talking about restricting voting in some way, if we're talking about any of these other things that we've had to sort out through constitutional amendments in the past, and we've had to have multiple constitutional amendments to sort out, I would like to know those aren't on the table and as I understand it, there's simply no way to do that through the context of LR14. It's being presented as a take it or leave it. I have to take it as its whole because we can't amend it. If it's a take it or leave it, I'm going to stand and leave it and continue my opposition to LR14 and hopefully have a chance to talk about voting rights and some more things in the future. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Sir Matt Hanson. Senator John Kavanaugh. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Um, well, I rise again to continue on my questions that I have. And I appreciate the history lesson from Senator Matt Hansen. Uh, it's been a while since uh, I studied the conventions, and I did not recall the Annapolis Convention, so that was a good uh, frame of reference for us. Uh, I wrote down, as I said to Senator Halloran, and he and I talked off the mic a little bit, some of my questions. Uh, and I know he looked a little preoccupied, so I just thought I'd start listing off what my questions are. and. If, oh, there he is. Uh, Senator Halloran, would you yield for a question? Senator Halloran, would you yield, please? We'll would be pleased to. Thank you, Senator Halloran. So, um, well, my first question is in terms of who, what would be the composition of the convention itself, and by which I mean who would be the delegates from the several states and from this state? And I know you addressed to Senator Moorfeld earlier, LB195, which is the faithful delegate. I guess my question is, on what basis are we presuming that the, st the legislature of the state of Nebraska would get to appoint the delegates to this convention? Uh, it's, it's, well, we don't have, a, that may be an assumption. Uh, the alternative would be to have a, have a statewide convention uh, to propose people to go to this convention of states and have them elected, uh, which would be and that may have to be on the ballot uh, to do that, which, uh, which, is, which makes it very difficult. The beauty of having state legislators be the, the, the delegates or commissioners is they've already been vetted, right? 
they've been vetted to be here by our constituents to represent us in the legislature. So we've gone through a vetting process, uh, whether that's good or bad, we've gone through a vetting process and here we are. Uh, to, to call for random people to be chosen from the state would be difficult for people to know who they are, what their background was, what they stood for, and so forth. Well, so I guess I have two questions or concerns about that particular, your answer. I appreciate the answer, by the way. But my one concern is this is a convention of the states and not a convention of the state legislatures. And so I have a concern where the legislature is the one that would be appointing or would be the electors when in reality we, sh my, I guess, philosophical interpretation is that though we are the legislative body of the state of Nebraska and we're acting in the people of the state of Nebraska's stead, when it comes to a national convention, the state of Nebraska should be represented in a different way than the legislative body. And LR, or I'm sorry, LB 195 specifically sets out the faithless electors with the oversight of the executive board and those sorts of things, where it really keeps the control in the hands of the legislature, which is a twofold concern because one, it puts the legislature directly in control of the electors. But two, it does make them essentially just an arm of the legislature and not necessarily of the state of Nebraska. And so that, I guess, and I don't have an answer to you. I'm just telling you, that, like I said, this is a sincere concern. So I guess I'll just give you that opportunity to answer that. Okay. Uh, one answer to that question is, is historically, as I mentioned before, there's 34 some uh, historically uh, conventions of states that were held before and after uh, the Philadelphia uh, 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 framing of the Constitution. It was a common practice at that time. At that time, those conventions of states were, were represented by people in, their, in those, those 13 states or the colonies, uh, legislators at that time. So that's been, that's been the history of how that's, that's, been, that's occurred. Okay, and that, that kind of goes back to one of the things you said earlier. Um, and I thought about it when you said that the, about habeas corpus and how everybody understood that to be what it meant at the time. And I thought for, in terms of process, I'm not sure that we should use, I don't know if anachronistic One is minute. the right word, which is we're running out of time speaking of, but anachronism means I think something out of time, which in this instance, we're drawing from something which is rightfully an exercise of our, our authority. But the question is, should we rely on how people 250 years ago understood something to, to be sure that one, that's the way it's going to happen, and two, whether or not that is the best way for something to proceed. And those are questions I'd like to, I guess, continue to suss out as we go forward. I know I'm running out of time here and I'd be happy to continue the conversation. Uh, but I just wonder, I, I have reservations about specifically the structure of how the delegates are going to be appointed and, and the reliance upon how, how many are going to get a portion to Nebraska in the first place. I believe that I would guess Congress will get to decide how many we get. And I can, I'll pick up the questions after. Okay. I think we're out of time, okay. probably. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. Thank you, Senator Kavanaugh. Senator Helen. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, carry on the conversation with Senator Kavanaugh. Uh, Hamilton made it very clear, and I can. I'd have to search through a far too uh, confused state of affairs I have here with my paperwork. A quote from Hamilton, and I can get that to you personally off the mic. Uh, a quote from Hamilton that specifically, specifically detailed and said that Congress would have no say in the, the choosing of delegates or commissioners, or for that matter, location. They can recommend a location, but it's up to the states ultimately to decide where it's going to be. Otherwise, with 
Hamilton pointed out that if you allowed Congress to make all those decisions, what you've effectively done is you've, you've, you've mooted the, the, the purpose of the states being on equal footing with Congress to call a convention of states. You let Congress intervene and do things that, that will affect or impact that convention of states. So he made it very, very clear that no, once a convention is called, that's the only obligation that the Congress has is to count, you know, they have to keep record of all these calls for a convention of states. They count what the convention of state calls, make sure that they're all uh, precisely the same before they call for a convention of states. Anyway, I would like to uh, uh, ask Senator Moorfield to yield for a question, if you would. Senator Moorfield, would you yield, please? Yes. Thank you, Senator Moorfield. I'm, I'm thrilled, thrilled to see by AM 1545 your heartfelt um, support of the Second Amendment. And um, I guess I, I would like to ask you on the mic uh, if you would then be supportive of Senator Brewer's LB 773, which will be coming up this session, dealing with constitutional carry. I have not reviewed that legislation, and we haven't had a hearing on it yet, so I want to hear back from my constituents and other individuals before I take a position on that. So that's a maybe in support of the Second Amendment. Senator Michaela Cavanaugh? I suppose it depends. Senator Michaela Cavanaugh, you please. Yes. Thank you, Senator Cavanaugh. Uh, uh, the same question I have for you. Uh, I appreciate your support of the Second Amendment. Uh, I, I would like to ask you on the mic, very pointedly, mm -hmm. uh, whether you would su uh, support Senator Brewer's LB773 constitutional carry. I have not read Senator Brewer's bill yet, so I can't give you an answer on that. But if it is similar to his bill previously, it's not likely that I will be supporting it, but I like to keep an open mind. So you're, okay, thank you, Senator uh, Kavanaugh. So your support of uh, the Second Amendment is frail at last, uh, at least, and uh, I'm sorry that you have to bring that up as a means of subduing or subverting uh, LR14 as a poison, poison amendment. Um, again, th this is, uh, I don't know how to say it. Let me throw one more thing out. The debt, right? We've talked about the debt being $30 trillion. Significant. Hard to wrap our arms around $30 trillion, right? What the heck's $30 trillion? We've seen analogies of how many times you could go to the moon and back if you stack dollar bills or $100 bills or whatever, and you still can't grasp it. None of us can. Well, let's knock a few zeros off of there. The interest on the debt, right? We have to pay the interest. Congress has to pay the interest. I think Senator Friesen pointed out the bondholders become very upset if we don't pay the debt, or the interest, excuse me. And if we don't pay the interest, guess what, what happens to our credit, credit rating? Plummets. We're, we're sucking air. So we're obligated to pay the interest. So what does that amount to? It's still a large figure to wrap our arms around. It's a billion dollars a day. One minute. A billion dollars a day. Where might that money go to for other programs that are near and dear to our hearts rather than going to interest? There's some bankers here in this body. God love them. I love them. But, you know, interest is a price you pay for a service. But does it get you much value other than getting you in debt or obligating you to a debt and paying the interest? No, it doesn't. It's a, sorry to the bankers here, it's a waste of money in regard to what you and I might want 
uh, for programs to be funded by a billion dollars a day out, out the window. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Sir Halloran. Senator Lowe. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. Judging by the queue, we're coming up on a, on a quandary here. By the way, I support LR14, and amazingly, I do not support AM1545, because 1545 is a ruse. I think it's been said, called a ruse. Um, what it says is the legislature reaffirms its commitment to protecting the gun rights of Nebraskans. The conventions of states shall not propose amendments that could in any way result in the restriction, disempowerment, or elimination of the Second Amendment. It is brought by one of the senators here who has tried to dismantle the Second Amendment for Nebraskans. And we're going to have to vote, those that support the Second Amendment will have to vote against a Second Amendment amendment. But those who don't support the Second Amendment may have to vote for the Second Amendment amendment unless this amendment was, is withdrawn. So those that wish to have political aspirations, that wish to stand on their morals, may have to vote against what they want to really have happen. It's a predicament. But it is a good predicament because we will have record. You will have me voting against a Second Amendment amendment because it is a ruse. And I totally support the Second Amendment. I totally support our Nebraskans' gun rights. But this is a way to draw this out. Because after this amendment, there will be another amendment. It'll be a way for it to go the eight hours. So we need 33 votes to get this passed. I believe Senator Halloran has right at 33, maybe 34, maybe 35 votes to get this passed. Get it passed the filibuster. I congratulate him. We're making headway on this. I am not in favor of AM 1545. And I don't think anybody else here should be either. Even those that don't support the Second Amendment. If you don't support the Second Amendment, you should not have record on it. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Senator Lowe. Senator Linehan. Mr. President, good afternoon, colleagues. I have to admit, I'm kind of sitting here thinking it wasn't that long ago we were here. I, but uh, so welcome back. Great new year. I rise uh, in opposition to AM 1545 in support of LR 14. Um, I'm going to turn most of my time back to Senator Halloran because he's prepared for this. He's far more uh, informed than I are. But I've heard a couple of things this afternoon that 
that concern me, and I, I'm not sure what we're afraid of on LR14. Are we saying that we don't, we don't, we're afraid of the people? Are we, I mean, are we so smart that we should be, we think we're smarter than the people that sent us here? Or are we saying we're afraid of states' rights? And if we're afraid of states' rights, that's a huge concern because that really takes away any authority we have. So I, I'm not sure what we fear here. Uh, I think it's abundantly clear over the last few years that D.C. is broken, that Congress is broken, that they are, they are not acting with maturity that you could expect from them even a couple of decades ago. We have a national debt that is a crisis. And I know some of you don't remember, Senator Friesen mentioned this morning when he was starting farm. When I bought my first, when we bought our first house, I think interest rates were something like 18% and inflation was 20%. This can go sideways very, very fast. And we need to figure out every way we have, everything in our power to make sure that Congress knows we're serious. And to the point that we don't know what our founding fathers were thinking, that's just not true. There are reams and books and the Federalist Papers. We have a very good, if we read, if we study, we have very good insight into what the Founding Fathers were thinking. And the Founding Fathers were protecting states' rights, but more important, individuals' rights. That's why we have the Bill of Rights. So I, I, think, we gotta re I think it's important for us to remember we need to trust the people who sent us here, and we need to trust the states. You think that 38 states are going to upend the Constitution, really? Do we really think that's going to happen? Senator Halloran, I would yield the rest of my time to you. Senator Halloran, two minutes, 15. Thank you, Senator Linehan. And, and my answer to your question, do, do I think that the states in a ratifying process would overthrow our whole Constitution? No, that's stupid. Uh, as, as, as are many of the suggestions of what might happen. I, I repeat, I'm going to ask the question a few more times. Uh, would Senator Moorfield yield to a question, please? Senator Moorfield, would you yield, please? Yes. No, there's been a lot of uh, uh, angst and concern and anxiety expressed about a runaway convention. And I pointed out earlier in my opening, I repeated it twice, and then I asked, then I made the comment during uh, one of my presentations. A question to you, and you've had time to research this. Where in the Constitution does it say that a convention of states can amend the Constitution? It says that it will propose amendments, and the amendments then will be taken to the states. So I understand what you're saying. It's a procedural issue, yes. So you're confirming that uh, a convention of states cannot amend the Constitution, neither can Congress, right? No, no, I'm, I'm actually One not minute. saying that, to, to clarify. I am saying that whatever amendments the convention of the states comes up with, they have to be ratified by the separate several states after that. So they can amend the Constitution, they just have to be ratified for them to go into effect after that. They cannot ratify the 
They cannot. No, no, no. The states no, have to they, ratify. They cannot amend the Constitution, Senator. No, I'm the sorry. Convention of the States proposes propose, amendments. The Convention of the States. Propose, the Convention of the States proposes propose, amendments, and then the states ratify it. But they right. come up with the amendments that have to be ratified. So they create the amendments. If you want to go into a mental gymnastic exercise, we can do that, Senator. But you're not going to get no, it past me. No, this isn't. This is really. Uh, thank you, Senator Morfo. This thank isn't you. really a mental gymnastics at all. Uh, this is not even a game of semantics. It's clear wording in Article 5 of the Convention of the Constitution clearly states that a convention of states nor Congress can do anything but propose. They're a suggestion box. Senator Hallen, that's time, but you're next in the queue. You may continue five minutes. Thank you, Mr. President. They're a suggestion box. That's all they are. Now, if you want to distrust, distrust the ratifying process, then you'll have to point out to me You'll have to point out to me, you can get in the queue or I'll ask you a question later. You can point out to me where the ratification process has ever gone wrong. Well, it did go wrong once. I pointed that out in my opening. It went wrong with the 18th Amendment, prohibition. And since this country decided that we liked alcohol, uh, we decided that that wasn't an amendment we liked. So what happened? In a few short years, Congress proposed to repeal the 18th Amendment with the 21st Amendment, right? So there's a safeguard in place there, an historical safeguard, that shows very clearly that if some foolhardy amendment gets ratified, and it seems like the other 36 that were ratified weren't foolhardy, those are solid, sound amendments, uh, but there's one historical event where it was repealed uh, that should be gratifying and comforting to everybody that there is an historical uh, precedent for repealing an amendment if we see fit to do that. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. The one of the, the, the greatest emotions that we struggle with throughout our lives, on this floor and just in our general lives, is fear. Fear is one of the easiest emotions to energize. Fear is one of the easiest ones to... To, to create anxiety for any one of us, and it's one of the hardest emotions to get rid of. Once you plant fear, you're pretty successful at doing that, Senator Moorfield. Once you pass fear into the hearts and minds of people, then that's all they think about. Historical evidence shows otherwise, that this is not a concept that is, 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 is to be questioned as you are questioning it. It's very solid and it's one we should pursue. It's one the Founding Fathers put in place to be able to keep our government, federal government, in check. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Sir Helen. Senator Marfell, you recognize to close on AM 1545. Thank you, Mr. President. Colleagues, I want to go through a few different things, and, you know, <clears throat> Senator Halloran can go through the mental gymnastics all he wants and kind of twist the words all he wants. But the fact of the matter is, is we all know that the Convention of the States is the first step for proposing amendments that are then ratified and adopted by the states. That's the process. And that's, that's the thing that we should all be scared of because that's what happened with the runaway convention that led to our current constitution. And People keep saying, well, don't read too far in, fear of the unknown. Let's look at the plain language, colleagues. 
Section 1, the legislature of the state of Nebraska hereby applies to Congress under the provisions of Article 5 of the Constitution of the United States for the calling of a convention of the states limited to proposing amendments to the Constitution of the United States that impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. So one. Two, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. And then three, limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. As my colleague Senator Matt Hansen has brought up, number two is fairly broad. Limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Well, what's under the power and jurisdiction of the federal government? Enforcing, enforcing and protecting in many cases our constitutional rights. So the power and scope of the federal government is the power and the scope that is enumerated in the Constitution. Our powers are enumerated in the Constitution. The power of the federal government. That is very broad, colleagues. That's not just limited to a balanced budget. That's not just limited to term limits. That's the entire scope of the federal government. And quite frankly, that could also be interpreted the rights in which they are sworn to uphold to protect, like the Second Amendment, like the First Amendment. So colleagues, this is not just simply a narrow, limited call. This is very broad, and it's in the plain language. Limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. That is the exact language used in this call. And yes, it's in the plain language that the convention that is convened does not actually ratify it, takes three-fourths of the states after that. But this is the first step. And this is the first step that's been taken before. And when nobody thought that they'd throw out the Articles of Confederation again, then what did they do? They threw out the Articles of Confederation, and then they passed it. We could be in that very same situation in a few years. This amendment, AM 1545, is a genuine amendment. I'm a proud gun owner. I started shooting firearms with my grandpa when I was very young. And just because I don't agree with every single other gun owner in here's uh, bills doesn't mean I'm anti-Second Amendment. That's absurd. Nobody would say that about any other issue. What a bunch of nonsense. If I wasn't for Second Amendment rights, I wouldn't own several firearms. It doesn't make any sense. But apparently because I don't stand up to somebody else's purity test, I'm suddenly not in support of the Second Amendment. What a bunch of nonsense. Colleagues, the mere fact that Senator Halloran brings up that we need to have an unfaithful delegate bill means that there are delegates that can go off the grid here. The mere fact that he states that, well, listen, that should be covered in follow-up unfaithful delegation bill. That means that there are holes in this and there are not safeguards. That means that unfaithful delegates can be unfaithful and do things that are not within the confines and the scope of this. And who's going to stop them? The Supreme Court doesn't even know. Members of the Supreme Court have stated, we don't know if we'd have jurisdiction over a convention and what would come out of it. Who are going to be able to provide those safeguards? We don't know. And the only precedent that Senator Halloran has brought up are state conventions that are totally not analogous to what we're talking about here, and we're not called under the provisions that we are talking about here, which are broad. His own call is broad. 
It talks about all the scope and the authority of the federal government, not just about balanced budget amendment and not just about term limits. Read the resolution, colleagues. I also urge you to pass AM 1545. It is a legitimate amendment. We should be able to attach amendments limiting the scope if in fact this can be limited, which I'm telling you right now, I have serious concerns about, and not only That's me. Time, Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Senator Marfeld. Members, you heard the debate on AM 1545, the question for the body is the adoption of the amendment. Those in favor, vote aye. Those opposed, Senator Marfeld. A roll call vote's been requested. Call the House has been requested. The question is, shall the House going to call those in favor of calling the House? Vote aye. Those opposed, vote nay. Sir Wishart, not voting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sir Williams, voting no. Sir Wayne, voting yes. Sir Walls, voting yes. Sir Vargas, Sir Stinner, voting no. Sir Slama, voting no. Sir Sanders, voting no. Sir Panzing Brooks, voting yes. Sir Pauls, not voting. Sir Merman, voting no. Sir Moser. Not voting, Sir Morfeld. Voting yes, Sir McKinney. Voting yes, Sir McDonald. Voting no, Sir McAllister. Voting yes, Sir Lowe. Not voting, Sir Linehan. Voting no, Sir Lindstrom. Not voting, Sir Coulterman. I'm sorry, Sir Lathrop. I'm sorry. Voting yes, thank you. Sir Coulterman. Voting no. Sir Hunt. Voting yes, Sir Hughes. Voting no, Sir Hickelman. Voting no, Sir Hilders. Not voting, Sir Matt Hansen. Voting yes, Sir Ben Hansen. Voting no, Sir Holleran. Voting no, Sir Groney. Voting no, Sir Gregert. Voting no, Sir Geist. Voting no, Sir Friesen. Voting no, Sir Flood. Sir Erdman. Voting no, Sir Dorn. Voting no, Sir DeBoer. Not voting, Sir Day. Voting yes, Sir Clements. Voting no, Sir Michaela Cavanaugh. Voting yes, Sir John Cavanaugh. Not voting, Sir Breesey. Sir Brewer. Voting no, Sir Brandt. Not voting, Sir Bosterman. Voting no, Sir Bostar. Voting yes, Sir Blood. Sir Arch. Voting no, Sir Albright. Not voting, Sir Aguilar. Not voting. 12 A's, 22 nays, Mr. President, on the amendment. AM 1545 is not adopted. I raise the call. Mr. Clerk, new bills for the record, please. Hello, everyone. This is Rita Peters again. I'm the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs at Convention of States Action. You have been watching the debate on LR14, our Convention of States resolution in the Nebraska Senate being debated on the floor there today. And I just wanted to come on for a minute and explain that what you just saw was not the vote on our COS resolution itself, but rather it was the vote on a, an amendment that was proffered by a very liberal progressive senator, um, most likely in an attempt to just create confusion about our COS resolution. So it is a good thing that that amendment failed to pass. And now it sounds like they're taking up a couple of housekeeping things, just adding some new bills to their agenda. But we do expect this debate on our resolution to continue live on the Senate floor in just a moment. Let's go back to that. Senator Hunt would move to amend with AM 1550. 
Senator Hunch recognized to open AM 1550. Thank you, Mr. Lieutenant Governor. I wish to withdraw that amendment. AM 1550 has been withdrawn. Mr. President, I have nothing further on the bill at this time. Nothing further on the bill. Is there any further discussion? Another 14. Senator Slama. Thank you, Mr. President, and good afternoon, colleagues. I haven't spoken on this today. I, I've been very consistent in my support for Senator Halloran's LR14, and I believe he's drafting something up off to the side on the floor, so I'm working to give him some time, and if Senator Lowe would like to speak on this a bit more, I'd like to yield him the remainder of my time. Thanks, Senator Salama. Senator Lowe, four minutes and a half. Thank you, I think, Senator Slama. Well, we came to a vote on this a lot quicker than what we thought we were going to do. So Senator Halloran is preparing a, a floor amendment, I believe. And I was well pleased to see the last amendment not make it on to LR14. because it would have made LR14 non-viable anymore. And we need to bring this, and we need to vote green on it all the way through. It needs to happen. It was said that our founding fathers would be afraid of what we were happening, what was happening here. You know, our, I think our founding fathers were afraid at the time of, of what was happening. They were afraid of what their country was, what was happening to their country at the time. And they were driven by emotion. And they were driven by faith. Faith in God. That God would lead us down the right path. And he has. I believe that our, our founding fathers were right in writing out the Constitution. You know, the United States has the worst government in the world except for all the other governments. They are far worse. We have a great government, but sometimes government forgets. And we need to remind them of who is really in power in this country. It is not government. It is the people. And that's what this is about. It is about the people. It is about the states. The states have the power over the federal government, and that's the way it should be. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, Senator Lowe. Senator Halloran, you recognize? Thank you, Mr. President. I would ask the body uh, to pull out their copy of the Nebraska Constitution and refer to, it's at the end, uh, it's Article 18, Term Limits on Congress. In 1996, 25 years ago, an initiative petition was circulated to put on the ballot whether or not 
Nebraska should call for a convention of states for the purpose of proposing an amendment to Congress for term limits for Congress. It passed 58 to 42. It's in our Constitution. Statement of intent, the people of the state of Nebraska want to amend the United States Constitution to establish term limits on Congress that will ensure representation in Congress by true citizens lawmakers. The President of the United States is limited by the 22nd Amendment to the United States Constitution to two terms in office. Governors in 40 states are limited to two terms or less. Voters have established term limits for over 2,000 state legislators as well as over 17,000 local officials across the country. Nevertheless, Congress has ignored our desire for term limits, not only by proposing excessively long terms for its own members, but also by utterly refusing to pass an amendment for genuine congressional term limits. Congress has a clear conflict of interest in proposing a term limits amendment to the United States Constitution. A majority of both Republicans and Democrats in the 104th Congress voted against a constitutional amendment containing the term limit passed by a wide margin of Nebraska voters. The people, not Congress, should set term limits. We hereby establish as the official position of the citizens of the state of Nebraska that our elected officials should enact by constitutional amendment congressional term limits of three terms in the United States House of Representatives and of two terms in the United States Senate. It goes on, and I'll let you read the balance of that. But it's important to note, this was in 1996. The national debt at that time was $5 trillion. $5 trillion. We're at $30 trillion right now. That's gone up a trillion dollars a year. The corruption and appearance of corruption brought about by political careerism is destructive to the proper functioning of the first branch of our representative government. Congress has grown increasingly distant from the people of the states. The people have the sovereign right and compelling interest to create a citizen Congress that will more effectively protect our freedom and prosperity. This interest and right may not effectively be served in any way other than that proposed by this initiative. We hereby state our intention on behalf of the people of Nebraska that this initiative lead to the adoption of the following amendment to the United States Constitution. Con Congressional Term Limits Amendment to the United States Constitution, Section 1. No person shall serve in the office of the United States Representatives for more than three terms, but upon ratification of this amendment, no person who has held the office of the United States Representative or who then holds the office shall serve, serve more than two terms, additional terms. Section two, no person shall serve in the office of the United States Senator for more than two terms, but upon ratification of this amendment, no person who has held the office of the United States Senator or who then holds the office shall serve more than one additional term. Section three, this article shall have no time limit within which it must be ratified to become operative upon the ratification of the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states. Therefore, we, the people of the state of Nebraska, have chosen to amend the Constitution of Nebraska to inform voters regarding incumbent and non-incumbent federal and state 
candidate support for congressional term limits amendments provided for in this section. 25 years ago, this was put in our state constitution, the one that we swore an oath to abide by, along with the U.S. Constitution. And 25 years have gone by, and we have done nothing in regard to the wishes of the electorate, the second house, in regard to calling for a convention of states for term limits for Congress. Thank you, Mr. President. Senator Ben Hansen. Thank you, Mr. President. Well, I appreciate Senator Holloran's fervor for um, LR14. I am not going to disagree that our federal government and its uh, fiscal unresponsibility is out of control. I'm not going to deny that fact, and I don't think most people here in this room could. Um, the burden isn't going to be just on us. It's going to be more on our children and our grandchildren. I think that at least even some kind of attempt to help rein in, you know, wasteful government spending in a lot, of a lot of times is something that we can aspire to. And so I appreciate Senator Holland for bringing this. And with that, I will turn it over to Senator Holland if he wants to expound on some other ideas. You're yielding your time, Senator? Yes. Senator Holland, you have four minutes. Thank you, Senator Hansen. A more recent call for a convention of states happened in 2017. Now, it wasn't a call, it was not a call for an Article V convention of states, but it was a convention of states, as we've been discussing. So how was how a convention of states formed? How's it run? How's it operated? Who has control of it? And so forth. In 2017, the state of Arizona called for a balanced budget amendment planning convention. They invited all the states and they held it in September of 2017. 19 states had representatives there, numerous delegates from 19 states, legislators primarily. Uh, I was there. I was there as an observer uh, because if you all remember 2017, we had no money. We were a, we were a billion dollars short uh, in our budget. So there was not much of a mood to spend money on Senator Halloran to go to this convention of states. So out of my pocket I went because I wanted to observe how they conducted themselves. And it was a planning convention for the purpose of a future Article V convention of states. So how was it conducted? Well, pandemonium set out. It was chaos. It was a nightmare. I mean, people were running all over the place making all kinds of wild ideas. No, I'm sorry, that's not the way it was. 19 states were there on the floor of the Arizona, uh, Arizona legislature, and they were working in a dignified manner as legislators because they all understood, based upon their call to go to that convention, that their purpose was to sit down and work out the details of how to plan for, to plan for details on how to conduct a convention of states in the event an Article V convention of states was called. So I was the lone individual. They had a huge balcony in the back of the Arizona legislature, much larger than this, but as big as these balconies combined. I was in that balcony all by my lonesome self. 
I don't create much of an image when I'm with a group anyway, but when you have me up there by myself, uh, it, it was pretty lonely up there. I was just an observer. However, I could observe what they did. Very dignified, very professional, ran by Mason's Rules, and they had committees set up, and they had committee hearings based on several issues to deal with planning for a convention, Article 5 convention. I went to those as an observer as well. There was no chaos or pandemonium. It was very structured, very dignified, and run like you would expect legislators to run such a One convention. Minute. One minute. Time flies when you're having fun. My point on this is it's, it's, that's the most recent convention of states that was called. I attended as an observer because we we didn't sanction me to go as a participant. I wish I could have participated. I don't think that I would have added anything to it in regard to making it more legitimate than it actually was. So that's what, that's what its call was. That's what its purpose was. They worked out plans, structured detail on how a convention would run, and uh, it, there was no mystery about it. It was all transparent, and I, I'm, I'm just telling you this as an observation that a convention of states works, and the ratification process works. We've seen the ratification process work 27 times to ratify amendments to the Constitution. And as I said, that time? That's time. Senator Erdman, you recognized him. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor, I appreciate it. And Happy New Year to those of you uh, that I haven't greeted yet. I appreciate the opportunity to speak today on LR14, I am a supporter of this. Uh, I appreciate also those people in the balcony who have come today. Uh, many of those people I've seen here in the Capitol for uh, several times, and I appreciate that. If COVID has done one thing for us, it has provoked the, the voters to get involved in our government. And that's exactly what those people in the balcony are doing. They're getting involved in our government, and I appreciate that. People are showing up. At school board meetings, they're showing up at county, go county government meetings, they're getting involved, and it works best when the people get involved because the watchfulness of the citizens is what keeps our government straight. So Senator Holleran's proposal, LR14, has been something we've been talking about for the five years that I've been here. Uh, Senator Epke, before uh, Senator Holleran had brought this, I was uh, pleased to hear Senator Lindstrom talk about the convention that he attended in Virginia, and I was wondering if he'd yield to a question or two. Senator Lindstrom, do you yield, please? Yes, I will. Senator Lindstrom, I did appreciate what you uh, said, and I appreciated uh, the confidence with which you came away from that convention. What was, what was your role there when you went to Virginia for that convention? Yeah, so Senator Epke had approached uh, several of us in the body uh, to the level of interest that we had to traveling with her to uh, Williamsburg, and Senator Friesen and I accepted that position, and there was three of us that went out there to participate. Uh, when we arrived, uh, all, all uh, 50 states were represented with anywhere from three to 
seven members, if I remember right. It wasn't a huge, huge group that, that went out from, but all 50 states were represented there. And so one of the first things that we did, we met um, as an entire group, and then we ended up selecting what would be the, the president, if you will, that would oversee it, similar to what we do right here in the body. And then we, we went about the process of carving up into different committees uh, that were tasked with coming up with what amendments that we wanted to see. And those are the ones that what I would call the least contentious, um, balanced budget amendment, term limits, things of that nature that we could find more compromise on. And that's how we went about the process initially. Very good. Thank you. So the question I have is, were there people there from both sides of the aisle? Yes, uh, it was represented. There, it was not a partisan uh, um, event and all, like I said all different states were there and so it was I, I was very fascinated I could tell there were a lot of lawyers um, out of the people that were representing their states and they were representatives and state senators from their from their neck of the woods but we we took it very very serious and down to the the, the simplest of things I mean what each word meant and what type of outcome that could present as an example we did the balanced budget amendment which Sounds good, but what happens if the United States goes to war? What happens if there's a crisis or an unforeseen crisis that may occur where we may have to lift that lid? So we went through that discussion. We went through all those talking points to think about the different circumstances that could arise uh, in just living life or what could happen and, and thinking through those things. But really, it came down to the words, what they meant. And we had that back and forth, and it was a lot of the, I think it was Robert's Rules is how we operated. Um, but I found it very fascinating and, and, and very worthwhile and, and, and very professional. It, I mean, it was very, very professional, that process and how we went about it. It was a diligent process. Okay, so may I ask, at the end of that convention, what was the conclusion? Was there a summation? One minute. Did they write up a report to say this is what we think will happen? or? What was the summation of the, of the conference? Yeah, we ended up, if I remember right, it's been a couple years, but we, we ended up coming to an agreement. And we, there was a lot of different amendments that were thrown out there, but not everybody agreed, so we couldn't get to that. This is why when we talk about the runaway, it, it's just, it's not, that's not a reality of how this would actually go. Um, but we, we got to the closest we could. I think there was three different things we ended up agreeing upon, and that was you know, the balanced budget, the term limits. Um, I, and it, it escapes me on the third one right now. I'd have to go back because it's been a couple years. Um, but we did get to a consensus, and, and, and we ended up having a mock uh, process of voting on those, and we did end up having a few that, that ended up passing. But what they looked like when, from when we started to what they looked like, the end product, uh, were very, very different. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Senator Lindstrom. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Irvin, Senator Lindstrom. Senator Clements. Thank you, Mr. President. I haven't spoken yet on this um, item, but I did have some thoughts as I've been hearing the conversation. Uh, I am in support of LR14 and have been for several years since I got here. When I first became a senator in 2017, uh, Senator Ebke was carrying a similar bill, and uh, I was pretty skeptical about it. I, I thought, and I heard the, the fear people of talking about how it was going to be a runaway. Uh, but then, uh, in visiting with her and looking into the safeguards that are uh, proposed to be in this, I became satisfied that this will be a safe way to limit the federal government and 
and the limitations of the convention are going to be adhered to. The uh, federal regulations is one thing that really affects me in my daily life. I'm a small town banker and the banking regulations are burdensome. I think the last time I counted, we have 33 federal regulations we have to jump over every day to prevent a violation. Um, and we have the same ones that Citibank has, which is hundreds of times our size. Um, the Nebraska Banking Department has qualified people to regulate small banks like mine, and uh, we could relieve the federal people of uh, having to bother with my little business, and uh, possibly that would be one thing that would be a benefit to me coming out of this. Um, and of course, federal overspending has been out of control for some time. That's why I think big reason why this was started. And now federal overspending is really on steroids. I'm probably going to vote f to spend some of the ARPA money, but I, if we gave it back, I think somebody else would just spend it. So I think Nebraskans might as well benefit if, if someone is. The, uh, another thing recently came to my attention was the country of Venezuela. Um, they were formerly a major force in the world, and now their economy is broke. And I have a friend whose grandson is in the army, and he visited Venezuela uh, sometime earlier last year. And he bought a placemat and a small elephant that had been made by a street vendor for five U.S. dollars. The, that placemat and the little elephant he got to looking, they were made from Venezuela boulevards. The mat has over 420,000 boulevard bills, and if you look at all the bills that he bought for five U.S. dollars, there are 9.9 .9 billion yeah, excuse me, million, 9.9 .9 million boulevards that were purchased for five U.S. dollars. And that's, uh, you could come see that in my office. I've, I've got it on loan for a while. And we need to rein in the United States so that we avoid uh, our economy turning into a Venezuela. And with that, Mr. President, I would yield the rest of my time to Senator Halloran. Thanks, Senator Clements. One minute, Senator Halloran. Uh, thank you, uh, Senator Clements. Well, let's reflect back a little bit on history of what we've done here uh, in regard to, to this, uh, this subject matter. In April 8th of 2010, there was a hearing in front of the Government Military and Veterans Affairs Committee, LR 538. The following constitutes the reasons for this bill and the purposes which are sought to be accomplished, accomplished hereby. Over the past five years, the federal government increased spending by 42% to the highest level of spending as a share of the economy since World War II. The federal government has borrowed tremendous amounts of money to finance the skyrocketing spending. As a result, the federal budget deficit has ballooned over the past five years from 7.000,000 to approximately $12,000,000,000. 
the good old days, only $12 trillion. A five-year increase equal to the nation's entire accumulation of debt from the presidencies of George Washington to Bill Clinton. That's time, Senator. That's time. Okay. Thanks, Senator. Hello. Hey, everyone. This is Rita Peters again. I am your host for this very special edition of COS Live on Facebook as we are all watching the continued debate on the COS resolution in the Nebraska Senate today. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of update. Yes, this is dragging on. And yes, you are now hearing from a bunch of different supportive Nebraska senators who are speaking in favor of our resolution, LR14. And just to let you know some behind the scenes info on what's happening is that they are waiting for one of our champion senators who was called away from the chamber on an urgent family matter. He is on his way back. He should be back there any minute now. And the senators did not want to do this vote, this first vote on our resolution in the Nebraska Senate without him there to support it because he has been such a champion. So that's why it's taking so long. Um, I, we think it's all good news appears to be rolling. Also wanted to just clarify that this first vote that we think we're about to see here in Nebraska will be the vote on first reading. By rule, the resolution has to be read three times, so there should be three votes unless one of them is suspended. So we're expecting to get the vote on first reading any minute now, as soon as our other Senate champion is there in the chamber, um, then the resolution has to lay over for two days, assuming this vote today goes well. So the earliest it could be up again for the second reading would probably be Thursday, um, but they may even push it until next week for the second and third readings and final passage in the Nebraska Senate. So it's an exciting time. Hope you can stick with us a little bit longer as we wait for this vote on first reading. Where are we financially as a country? Senator Heller, Heller would you yield to a question? Senator Heller, would you yield, please? For Senator McDonald, anytime. Senator Heller, in 2017, when we started having the discussion, do you remember what the national debt was? Well, precisely, I don't know. Um, my best guess was around $21 trillion. And what is it projected to be? What is it today, and where are we projected in the next year? It's $30 trillion. Uh, the uh, Congressional, Congressional Budget Office is projecting at least a trillion dollars increase annually for the foreseeable future. Senator Heller, do you have a plan to have a runaway convention? I wouldn't even pretend to know how to do that. <laughs> Senator Helleran, have you ever discussed ways to stop a runaway convention with us as individuals and, of course, on this floor? But since 2017 with me, that was a concern that people had brought up. Mm -hmm. And since 2017, you've been telling me about how we would try to make sure there was not a runaway convention. Is that not true? That's true. Uh, that's true. LB-195. Uh, I think Senator uh, Moorfield misspoke when he said that bill was called the unfaithful delegate uh, bill. It was the faithful delegate bill, purposely labeled that way to, to create uh, legislation that would keep 
commissioners or delegates to a, a, a call convention in line in respect to what we ask them to call the convention for. So that's, that's our duty to write legislation to be able to make sure that any delegates we send know exactly what their parameters are, what they can and can't do, and what happens if they, if they go outside the scope of the call. Thank you, Senator Halloran. There's a number of things that we're passionate about in this body, and we bring forward, and a number of times, the, the majority of us, they don't agree. But one thing you have to respect that you cannot manufacture passion, it's gotta come from the heart. Senator Halloran's been passionate about this subject, and about this issue, for us, for our children, for our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, since he came here in 2017. I really believe that we, we should consider moving this, all of us, from general file to select based on the idea, if you have questions and concerns, and I think there was good debate this morning, good discussions, give Senator Halloran a chance to answer more of your questions. Let's move this from general to select. Let's keep this discussion going because it's good for us. It's good for the state of Nebraska. It's good for our country. For the people sitting up here in the balcony that are looking at us like, you work for us, and what are you people doing? Why aren't you bringing this to a vote? Well, there's a number of reasons Senator Slama explained, and there's other people that want to be here, and hopefully this, is going to, this vote's going to come shortly here in the next 20, 30 minutes. But please, be patient with us. Don't give up on us yet. Um, we will have a vote. Senator Groney, you recognized. Thank you, Mr. President. I plan to uh, vote for advancement of LR14. Uh, Senator Haller and I have had some angry exchanges over it. Uh, but I read what the Founding Fathers, I've been reading up on some of what the Founding Fathers debates were and uh, the give and take, and it wasn't give and take, it was almost punch and punch, but uh, during the convention. But I heard Senator, I guess what made me stand up was when Senator Halloran mentioned fear. I do have a fear, something that hasn't been mentioned on this court. I am not so much afraid of a runaway convention as I am of a runaway Supreme Court and a executive branch that is so sure that the Constitution can be interpreted in any way you wish that they're talking about packing that court and expanding it, as Roosevelt did. If that Constitution was so sacred, so well written, and so clear, why would we have a president and a party who wants to pack it and interpret it their way. I fear, but I fear a runaway Supreme Court. We already have a runaway Congress. We all know that. It's completely out of control. When I watched part of the debate on the vaccine mandates the other day in the Supreme Court, and I heard the comment by Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, I was absolutely shocked at the ignorance that was displayed. I was also shocked at the total disregard to one of the major issues at the Constitutional Convention. We talk about states' rights, we talk about the Supreme Court, we talk about federal government rights. The big one in the room during the Constitution which, which created this country was individual rights. Individual rights. Even in this body, I hear the rights of the counties, the rights of the cities, the rights of the state, the rights of the natural resource districts. In all of those debates, I always return myself to the rights of the individual 
that those entities are supposed to represent. But the problem here in America right now is the individual is pushed to the side. It's about the greater good, the lesser of evils. What should the majority tell the minority? If we can do anything to change that, to have that conversation by having a convention, I'm not going to dissuade that because we're all, we got two branches of government that basically are runaway right now. And the states who are closest to the people has been pushed aside. And we talk about three-legged stools. I would say the state's leg is being chopped and it continues to be chopped. As for term limits, I am for term limits. Always have been. Can't wait till I'm term limited out. Because I watched the power. I've watched it for seven years. How somebody, how many elected officials seek power. And the more power they receive, the less they listen to the people. You look at the national government, look, Pelosi. They have been there so long, and because they have reached a seat of power and seniority, they have more power and more say over the people of Nebraska than our elected officials do. If there's one thing in what Senator Halloran is representing, it's term limits. The shorter time you are to the people, the more you one represent minute. the people. Is that it? One minute. The further you become part of the system, the further you're away from the people. We need term limits on a national level. It works with the president. It works in the state, at this state of Nebraska. So I am going to support maybe a runaway convention. Everything else is runaway nowadays. So uh, I will vote green on LR14 to select file. Thank you, Senator Groney. Senator Mosier, you recognize? Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I would imagine that people at home that are watching this are trying to diagram our actions and figure out where people are coming from. And uh, I think this is uh, political theater at its best. We have people who normally oppose protecting the rights of the Second Amendment, making motions, uh, in my view, a poison pill uh, amendment to Senator Halloran's resolution um, just to uh, uh, kill it because of our support of the Second Amendment. One of my colleagues brought up the insurrection in Washington, D.C. a year ago, January 6th, as bad government, and I think most would agree that violent overthrow of the government is not, not the way to effect change. And, but you have to admire the supporters of the Convention of States. They're doing it from within the system. They're following the rules. They're looking at the, at the way that the uh, Constitution was written and trying to exercise their rights to address what Congress and the Senate are doing. And I supported this earlier when Senator Halloran brought it, and I'm going to support it again. And I encourage all my... Uh, colleagues to vote for it. I think we need to move it forward um, and kind of ignore the uh, confusing actions of some of us here. Um, I'm just trying to point us, point us in the right direction 
and focus on the convention of states issue and not get drawn off into discussions of irrelevant acts. Thank you. Thanks, Senator Mosier. Seeing no other members wishing to speak, Senator Halloran, recognize the close on LR 14. Thank you, Mr. President, and, and thank you, colleagues, uh, for this, this dialogue. Some people call it a conversation. Some people call it a debate. But it was worthy questions, and, and I think the opportunity to provide, I hope, worthy answers to your questions. I, I would just like to say that, uh, and I think you would all agree with this, I have profound respect for the founders of this country and the framers of the Constitution. It is incredible what they have put together for us in the form of a constitution to manage our form of government, a representative republic. Uh, they had more vision than we, well, they had more vision than most, most anyone today has, but they had vision of what it, what's required to make a government work. And part of making a government work is to make sure that the people have a voice, right? It's to be sure that the voters have a voice. And that's what this process is, is all about. LR 14, calling for an Article 5 Convention of States, is allowing the, the states and the people in those states to have a voice on, on proposing amendments to the Constitution. In addition, I have tremendous and great respect for the legislators in all the other 49 states. These people have sworn the same oath that we have. They've sworn the oath to their state constitution. They have sworn an oath to the U.S. Constitution. And I have confidence that they will do what they are called to do, nothing more and nothing less, when a, uh, when a convention is called. So with that, uh, I will close and I will uh, call, ask for a call of the House and roll call vote in regular order. Thank you, Senator Hallen. There's been a request to place a House under call. Question is, shall the House come under call? Those in favor, vote aye. Those opposed, vote nay. Sir Aguilar? Not voting. Sir Albright? Voting no. Sir Arch? Voting yes. Sir Blood? Sir Bostar? Yes. Voting yes. Sir Bostelman? Yes. Voting yes. Sir Brandt? Yes. Voting yes. Sir Brewer? Yes. Voting yes. Sir Breesey? Voting yes, Sir John Cavanaugh. Not voting, Sir Michaela Cavanaugh. Not voting, Sir Clements. Voting yes, Sir Day. Voting no, Sir DeBoer. Sir Dorn. Voting yes, Sir Erdman. Voting yes, Sir Flood. Voting yes, Sir Friesen. Voting no. Voting yes, I'm sorry, Senator. Sir Friesen, voting yes. Sir Geist. Voting yes, Sir Gregert. Voting yes, sir, Groney. Yes. Voting yes, sir, Holleran. Yes. Voting yes, sir, Ben Hansen. Yes. Voting yes, sir, Matt Hansen. No. Voting no, sir, Hilgers. Yes. Voting yes, sir, Hickelman. Yes. Voting yes, sir, Hughes. Not voting, sir, Hunt. No. Voting no, sir, Coulterman. Yes. Voting yes, sir, Lathrop. No. Voting no, sir, Lindstrom. Yes. Voting yes, sir, Linehan. Yes. Voting yes, sir, Lowe. Yes. Voting yes, sir, McAllister. No. Voting no, sir, McDonald. Voting yes, Sir McKinney. Voting no, Sir Morfeld. Voting no, Sir Moser. Voting yes, Sir Merman. Voting yes, Sir Pauls. Voting yes, Sir Pansy and Brooks. Voting no, Sir Sanders. Voting yes, Sir Slama. 
Vote in yes, sir. Stinner. Vote in yes, sir. Vargas. Sir Walls. Vote in no, sir. Wayne. Vote in yes, sir. Williams. Vote in yes, sir. Wishart. Vote in yes. 32 A's, 10 nays, Mr. President, on the advancement of the resolution. LR 14 advances. I raise the call. So you just saw our resolution, LR 14, the Convention of States resolution in the Nebraska Senate advance to its second reading. So that was the first of three votes under the Nebraska rules. The vote was 32 yay, 10 nay, and four not voting. Um, we only needed 25 yes votes for this round. So it was a great victory. We are so proud of our Nebraska grassroots team. They were there live at the Capitol um, on the Senate floor. And I believe we have Regional Director Dave Schneider, who has been there the entire time. Um, Dave, welcome back to the program. What's your reaction to the vote? Oh, just an amazing show by the grassroots today. Uh, we showed up in, in masses today, uh, not masks, but masses. Uh, we had a lot of folks here today, and um, it was great to have a victory, uh, first round victory. Uh, this is the first of a couple different ones that we need to have. Um, we've had a string of victories here in, in Nebraska ending last session that resurrected this bill from the ash heap. And it was nice to see a resounding vote uh, of 32, uh, almost almost to the supermajority, 33. 33 is a real magic number because if we face a filibuster in the next round, uh, we got to be at that 33. So we're real close. Uh, we're we've got uh, maybe a maybe a few that uh, we we need to do a little work on, but um, looking real positive. I like to see what I saw with all that green up on the on the board today. Oh, it was a beautiful thing to see. So for those watching, LR14 again is our Convention of States resolution in Nebraska, and we just passed the first of three readings. So it's a great sign. Dave, just um, explain as much as you can to us about what happens next and what you expect the timing to be on that. Absolutely. So this being the first reading, uh, we've got to lay it over for two calendar days. Uh, so the earliest it could come back up for debate would be Thursday. I don't really anticipate it to be up Thursday, but it could. Um, you know, this is the unicameral and it, strange things do happen here. I've experienced some strange things over the years. So uh, as early as Thursday, most likely, if I were to guess, next Tuesday after the holiday of uh, Memorial, or, I'm sorry, of Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday and then move it on Tuesday. So they're off this Friday. So next fr this Friday and, and, and Monday are holidays for them. So sorry for the background noise, but uh, we uh, we were excited. It gives us some time to work on a few stragglers, stragglers that we have out, out in the in the, uh, in, in the red column that we saw. And there was, as you saw also, there was quite a few that did not vote. And uh, that's a positive sign, uh, I think, uh, with a few of them at least. So um, we're, we're, we got about a week. It'd be my guess. Um, and then that's the second hurdle. We got a third hurdle after that. Uh, so there soon after. I don't want to count, even speculate to what, what happens next until we get over that next hurdle, the second one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, if there's one thing I know about our grassroots army, it's that they don't go away. They're going to keep fighting. They're going to keep working on this under your leadership. 
Dave, thank you so much for everything you're doing out there. And on behalf of the entire national organization, I want to say congratulations to you. Congratulations, especially to our grassroots in Nebraska who have brought this about. And congratulations and thank you to our wonderful champion in the Nebraska Senate, Senator Steve Holleran. Thank you so much. You bet. Steve has just done an amazing job here and uh, going to go talk to him right now. Give him congratulations. So I'll, I'll certainly pass that congratulations on that you just gave. Tell him I'm waving my Nebraska flag for him today. I certainly will do that. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. And to all of our viewers, this is Rita Peters again. I'm going to sign off now and just stay tuned. We will keep you informed. You know, maybe it'll be next Tuesday again that we're back here live again to broadcast round two of this debate. Um, but we'll keep you posted and keep on standing up, speaking up, and showing up on behalf of Liberty. Thank you for your support. If you want to learn more, you can always go to conventionofstates.com. Thanks, everyone. Good night. This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.